0: Welcome to the Free Cities Podcast. My name is Timothy Allen and this is the official podcast of the Free Cities Foundation. Hello and welcome to episode number 17 of the Free Cities Podcast. Now, before I tell you about this week's Dispatch... I would like to preempt this show with a little warning to those of you who would consider yourselves to be of a non technically minded nature. Well, this show may not be for you, unfortunately, since it does get rather technical in places, and I'm going to have to ask you to excuse me for indulging myself so much in the conversation. The truth is that when I get into the same room as somebody like today's guest, someone who knows a hell of a lot more than me about something that I'm incredibly eager to know more about, well, I really just can't help myself. So, today I'm talking with a gentleman by the name of Max Hillebrand. Max is a well-known privacy and Bitcoin activist also lesser known possibly as the CEO of ZK Snacks, which is the company whose flagship product is the privacy-oriented Bitcoin wallet called Wasabi Wallet. Now, Max spoke in depth about privacy and self-sovereignty at last year's Liberty in Our Lifetime conference. And this conversation follows in a similar vein. We begin with a few stories from his time working at a bank, but the conversation quickly moves on to open source software, Bitcoin, and of course, privacy. We discuss many of the practical aspects of privacy technology, including things like GitHub and how it works, methods for anonymizing Bitcoin transactions, blockchain surveillance, and the privacy implications of Bitcoin's lightning network. Max also makes some rather fascinating predictions about the very far distant future of the Bitcoin network. Certainly, some things that I, for one, had never contemplated before. Now, as you may discover, I had a thoroughly enjoyable time during this conversation. My only hope, of course, is that you will, too, And with that thought, it just remains for me to say, please, sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Max Hillebrand. I know know what you're good at, I suppose it would be privacy, it would be living in a in a parallel system to the current system. Would you say that? Is mm. that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: A little bit of economics sprinkled on top and that's that's basically it What is me. your past just out of interest?
0: When, how did you arrive at the point that you find yourself at now?
1: Mm-hmm. Were you and a, what did you like, did you study at uni or did you do any that stuff? Um, so I, I started working pretty early. Uh, I'm a big fan of child labor. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, and that gave me kind of an early insight in uh, entrepreneurship and kind of a, th- a thrive of trying to understand it more and economics ultimately being the science of entrepreneurship that interested me at a quite early age. So then I, I went to different economics schools like at high school level, etc. Uh, and did a bunch of well, self-research and self-study and then uh, uh, went to study at a, a dual university, something like this. Uh, so it's like a, a something like an apprenticeship. It's part-time uh, work and part-time study. So three months of the year I was working at Deutsche Bank, uh, and the next three months I was studying at, at that university or college. And then back three months at Deutsche Bank, etc., and that went for three years. Uh, that was my bachelor's degree, basically, and that was uh, economics and banking. Um, and Did they
0: expect you to go and work for them afterwards? Was that part of the deal? Uh,
1: it was a three-year contract, uh, but not longer than that, right? So obviously, or some people were good enough got then a a invitation or like a uh, an offer uh, to continue working at the place and whichever uh, department they enjoy. Uh, and well, some people don't take this up, and some people do, etc. But uh, there, it, it's a, it's definitely a a study program that is designed to, you know, kickstart you into the company. Um, and, and you really it, it was awesome because you got to see a lot of different things, uh, you know, from the, the low level teller, uh, you know, in the bank branch locally, all the way to. Investment banking and and massive debt structures and startup financing and, and all of these types of things. It was really informative. I got to see a, a lot of different depart- departments. Um, but I I knew pretty quickly that this this wasn't for me. <laughs> <laughs> Did you do the full three years at Deutsche Bank
0: afterwards? Then yeah
1: yeah I I, um, I contemplated it a lot if I if I should. Uh, just move on to going Bitcoin uh, craziness. Right oh, away.
0: when was this then? So this Bitcoin existed at this point, did it?
1: So I, um, I signed the contract for the three-year study program, uh, and a couple of weeks later, I really fell on hard the Bitcoin rabbit hole. <laughs> so it it, it it just missed it by a couple of weeks, you know. <laughs> yeah, wow. but, but then it was nice because I fell on the Bitcoin rabbit hole while parallelly working at Deutsche Bank, mm-hmm. uh, and that gave me a lot of additional insights into the fiat system. You know, I, I knew some things before, but just getting the actual experience there, uh was, was really eye opening in, in into a lot of ways. To to really see the, the money printing in, in, in action. And uh, that's
0: what the- was what was your job then at deutsche bank i mean i've never i've never worked anywhere (laughs) like that but
1: i know that you can do a number of things can't you yeah Yeah, i mean when i when i went there i think deutsche bank had a hundred thousand employees right like insanely huge you know uh, also, the week that I came there, they announced that they're going to fire 30,000 people. So, that wow. was a really nice first week to start with. It's like, hi, I'm the new guy. <laughs> well, all <laughs> of so you there's, are getting fired. of desks <laughs> over there. You can choose it, whichever one you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I, I really got to see everything. You know, personal banking, uh, uh, like uh, investment for uh, private clients, um, company clients, uh, structured finance, uh, startup uh, finance, d- um yeah debt investment deals, investment banking mergers and acquisitions
0: but well, they were training you up were they to try and yeah is that how it works
1: It was basically kind of a showcase of everything that the company has to offer um and it was really cool really like there were there were a bunch of extremely interesting people there and and very um like dedicated motivated people. Um it was it was super interesting. Com- completely different to anything in Bitcoin. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Um but yeah, and it, it has its own Yeah, it's just its its own unique story, it has its own advantages and disadvantages.
0: So what was your what are your big takeaways from that then that you you now know from first experience, from firsthand experience. I mean, a lot of people in the Bitcoin world learn a lot of things about a lot of things to do with economics Mm -hmm. and banking. And uh, I think a lot of, a lot of terminology is thrown around like, oh, the money printer and the this and the that and that. And and I know for one, that I've tried my hardest to look into it. And it's way more complicated than even the bit. If you think Bitcoin's hard, you try looking into the system of banking as mm-hmm. it stands at the moment and it's not only is it hard it doesn't seem to me make sense i i can get my head around bitcoin bit slowly mm-hmm. bit by mm-hmm. bit but i mean is that a fair a fair classification
1: of the of the the banking system that you were in well uh, one of the big realizations was how easy money printing is um and that many people can do it right so uh, the base money the physical cash and the central bank reserves in the fiat system they are just created by the central banks themselves uh however the the m1 right so the the deposit banks basically the, the the credit that can be issued on top of this money uh that is it completely in the hands of of just regular banks you know whenever you go to the bank and you request a, a loan for 100,000 dollars that's like it was so funny because you know i I did this all the time like issued issued loans you know worked through them and then one time i asked uh the 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 other guy working there the higher up so like do you know when we issue those hundred dollars a hundred thousand dollars like where do they come from you know do we have any internal balance sheet checks you know do we do we do this accounting like right away like is this real time like where where, you know where where where, where does it come from and she's like no 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 like they you you just click there there's no checks happening in real time it just adds adds the numbers and uh, at the end of the month or quarter you know it gets settled did um,
0: you find all this so you found all this stuff out in in i mean i've you know like i've theorized things like this but did you mm -hmm. go work in a bank and then start realizing hold on a minute (laughs) <laughs> this is a, what the hell is going on here? Yeah, did yeah. I did not teach you that at uni or at college, you know?
1: I must say the vast majority of my economic understanding I I got from reading Austrian economics textbooks, you know, Murray Rothbard, Ludwig von Mises, uh, uh, and Hans-Sermann Hoppe. Like Before the, you were working there. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. That, that, that's why that furthered my interest in the banking system. right? I, like I was always interested in entrepreneurship and, and understanding economics, and my family has somewhat of a small history in banking, so that was also something I always grew up with. And then Rothbard taught me the the beauty of of banking, you know, what it actually means to, to, to you know, to to shift the or, or to match make people with different time preferences, so that entrepreneurs who don't have capital right now can start build stuff and be productive. It's you know, credit is incredibly valuable uh, for for the economy, and uh, so I I understood a lot of that before, but. Um, I mean obviously I learned a whole bunch uh during this. Very little at the actual university economics lectures because that was just the Keynesian bullcrap that I already knew and knew how to debunk. Um but I just kept up with uh, you know, reading the Austrians and uh that yeah, definitely. Did anyone a bunch.
0: study Austrian economics at uni that you know of?
1: Um n- uh, b- no, was this, well, well, this, is Germany, right? people, this was you know, yeah, this Germany, yeah. was Germany, yeah. southern Germany, and a, a couple people were were loosely interested, and uh, even one of our economics professors uh, actually had some of uh, um, Hayek in, in in his material, uh, which Hayek is to some extent my least favorite Austrian economist, um, uh, and um, and we had long conversations and debates uh, about this in in university because I yeah no I I went into the program knowing a lot about Keynesianism and knew that it just wasn't right. So, And I was happy at argue, arguing and debating. So I was, I guess, to some extent, the least favorite student of that teacher because I was sitting in the back row, you know, doing something else because the, the, the main text was bothering me or boring me uh, and then occasionally shouting out some, uh, you know, little uh, ways of, of debunking the claims that were being made, etc. Uh,
0: in that situation, can you still pass by saying this is all bullshit? As long as you give your reasons, like, can you still get your um, degree or whatever you get? Because, I mean, if they're teaching you Keynesian economics and you don't believe it, Mm -hmm. um, what do you do? Just say, okay, and just give them what they want and then take your job and go
1: and do it. Well, um, yeah, you need to pass the tests, right? That was was basically the main thing. And the thing is, right, um, this apprenticeship study thing is you're not in school like at university where you're kind of free to do whatever you want you're an employee right you have a full-time work contract and you're you have eight hours a day either that eight hours a day is at, at the bank working or that eight hours a day is at university studying like lecturing um uh, and uh you know so you needed to be there and you needed to deliver some things but um <laughs> what i also really enjoyed then was my uh, was the the papers and and the, ultimately the bachelor thesis that i wrote um which was uh you know first part being about uh, project finance with initial coin offerings it was like two thousand seventeen, so it was ICO boom. And I was like, oh, I gotta write a little bit about this. Um as it, in what, the, the just the, the mechanics of it. Or the mechanics, it? yeah, project finance always interested me. You know, entrepreneurs wanting to do something and not having the money. Um, and uh, there's there's really cool ways that you can structure this in very creative different ways. And I, I thought, you know, I see also it's just a public offering for with, you know, some uh token well cryptography, etcetera to to you know, shrine these rights in, in cyberspace, etc. Um, was was really interesting.
0: At that point, sorry about butt in. Did you have a did? What was your? Did you have a thesis on Bitcoin versus other tokens? Mm-hmm. You yeah,
1: did- I clearly defined the uh, the base money tokens. Uh, so tokens are not a claim on anything. I talk, uh, just a gold coin, it's just a bunch of atoms, it's not a claim on anything, it's just gold, full stop, so it's a rivalrous commodity, and, and Bitcoin is the same, right? It's a digital rivalrous co- commodity, just like gold atoms. Um, but then, of course, you can have you know claims like, hey, I give you this one Bitcoin now, and in a year, you give me 1.1 Bitcoin back, or in a year, you give me back the profit that you made by investing uh, this one Bitcoin that I'm giving you now, etc., et- et um, uh, so you know, money is not an investment. It's it's not uh, 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 yeah, yeah. It's it's not an investment. It's not consuming. It's um, it's just holding something that you can trade at a future point in time, uh, and that was differentiated in, in that first paper. Uh, my, my second paper was then uh, titled "Anarchy in Money" uh, on the ethical economics of Bitcoin, uh, which was with, with that you know uh, economist professor uh, and. This you know was a pure anarchist Rothbardian uh, like paper on, on why Bitcoin is, is the ethical. Were and, they a little the bit thing? surprised by that? <laughs> Suddenly like
0: from yeah. naught to from naught to anarchy and like It <laughs> <laughs> escalated pretty quickly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's very funny though because everyone that's ever fallen down the rabbit hole knows that experience very yeah. well one day you wake up and you're like what is this thing you know <laughs> three weeks later you kind of got long hair and you're like you've been up 24 hours trying to you know it's a it's a common it's a common theme amongst uh, people that investigate that yeah. yeah exactly so what come on what was your talk me through the thesis well so so. it's all it's all
1: uh, what is anarchy? Anarchy well, is... Well, the, the paper, yeah. yeah. Exactly, right? That, uh, that anarchy is an archon from the Greek, meaning without rulers, without kings. And so there's, uh, in other words, there's no coercion involved. Uh, their uh, property rights are being protected, right? So your body and the things you've created are yours. Uh, and when someone takes them against your consent or against your will, well, that's that's bad, basically. You're no longer in a state of anarchy. You, now you have a ruler, a slave master who can you know, deal you around as, as, as he wishes, um, and to some extent, that's that's what fiat money is. Right? The the rules are defined not by you but by someone else. Especially the rules of how much money can be printed and when it is being printed. Definitely not in your hand. Uh, so there is a power asymmetry. Right? There is the kings of the money, the central banks, uh, the banks, uh, the governments, and then there's the slaves of the money, the the everyday user. You know, um, the entrepreneurs getting paid, uh, the people holding the money and saving with it, and the people using it for payments, etc. Um, Bitcoin is fundamentally different, right? Bitcoin is a self-defined monetary system. When you run a Bitcoin full node, you define for yourself the rules of your monetary network right? you, uh, and you verify every transaction that's happening in this monetary network so that it upholds these rules. And right? so you define and you verify everything that's going on and also you enforce it. And right? if there's an invalid transaction being proposed to you that's that breaks that violates the rules that you've defined previously then you just delete it and block the person who sent it to you and so you as the end user of the monetary system gets to define verify and enforce the rules of the money and that is what freedom looks like that is where there's no kings or over, uh, over you where, where you are a sovereign of yourself right a, a king of the kingdom of one
0: did did they take it how did they take it <laughs> was it a um did you get an a uh,
1: no 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 like uh, some, a b or something like this like uh, but i mean was it that fully formed back then it was i think it was pretty fully formed yeah yeah um uh, like i i drew a lot of, I, I didn't come up with any of this right i i just drew a lot on the arguments of rothbard and hoppe um and i think there's these are pretty rigorous arguments you know like there's a Solid defense of it. Now, did I make the arguments perfectly and and pro- provided a proper definition and defense for them? Well, um, maybe not. <laughs> but uh, I, I think at least the core of the arguments in and of themselves were are pretty reasonable.
0: Mm. So, I mean, what talk me through what happened when you left um, Deutsche Bank? Then, are you are you were you already thinking about? I mean, why don't you tell? Like, I know what you'd do, but why don't you just quickly? um explain what it is that you do right now and then we'll try and find out how we got there
1: mm-hmm. so i again right i have a background in economics and roughly you know a year before i got into bitcoin i got into the linux and free software rabbit hole um, and found that extremely fascinating especially because free software is very much in line with the austrian economics definition of of information and, and property uh in, information is not property, it's not a rivalrous scarce resource. You can copy information and, and share it with people uh, without losing access to that information. It's, it's fundamentally different to the goods that we have in, in Meatspace. Um, and uh, this, this means that, well, words can be copied by, by anyone and can be changed by anyone and can be spoken. Um, as long as you own your body and you own the computer uh, that, that does the computation, etc. you get to decide what to say or which software to run. Uh, exactly. Right? And uh, that is the, the argument for free software. Uh, it's your computer, and you get to decide exactly which software you want to run. Uh, and, and therefore, you should see the source code of the software that you run. Uh, for the entire operating system for the entire stack of your computer the the source code of the programs that are running should be available to you and you have the right and the power to to edit them to change them uh, and to share them with others Uh, those are basically the core tenets of of free software so that fascinated me uh, because it was very true to how austrians uh, categorize information Um, and well then i discovered bitcoin which you know is is awesome money uh, that that is open source and and free uh, where you can change the rules right of, of your Bitcoin full node. The source code is open. Change it if you want to have fifty million Bitcoin on your address. It's like super simple code changes that that you could do, um, and and that's that's extremely powerful. All right, so uh, I started using these free software tools and realized that they're pretty bad. <laughs> they're they're slow. They're clunky. They're difficult to use, etc. Uh, and um, there's not many good explanations about them, especially Bitcoin tools. So I started to well learn more about them and and teach people about them. I did a lot of videos, uh, uh, educating people through economic principles and software technologies, and that was uh, that was fantastic because well just like you you know I I got to sit down with with people and and interview the people who made the tools and ask them questions about the rationale behind features etc. And that was really. Th- taught me a lot you know you meet incredible people you learn a lot about the software tools you learn a lot about software development and how that actually works you know and and how difficult and time consuming it is I had no idea about all of this stuff before Uh, and so I found a couple different free software projects that I really enjoyed using and where I I saw problems on on how they could be better and then I tried fixing these problems and actually making the software better it's another core part of free software like you can improve it uh, actually and and you know, not just maybe someone else will allow the con- like the improvements to happen, but you no, know, you just improve it and then it's done, and and you have better software, um, and that was really actionable and really rewarding. So just I'm before always you stuck go with on, uh, because yeah. um,
0: I don't think a lot of people understand how f- open source works. Um, the way you just described it there, you fiddle around with some code and then everyone adopts it. How does it actually work? Like how does mm.
1: how does a web open source project work? Yeah, that's a really good question. All right, so let's um, uh, say you have a piece of software, uh, I don't know, calculator app or something on your computer or your phone. Um, if, if you change any line in, of code in, in there, let's say you make it instead of a light mode, you make it a dark mode, you know, back, back, black background for the user interface, etc. cetera, whatever. Um, as soon as you change that code, and as soon as you run that code on your computer, it's done, right? Like you didn't have to ask the computer, the calculator company for permission or for h- how to change it. Um, you, you just change the code on your computer that, that you were running uh, and, and that's it, you know? So there's an instant reward, an instant feedback. Um, does your code work or does it not? You know, that's very instant, very real uh, accomplishment basically that you have. Now, just like you have the power to choose which software you run on your computer, so has everyone else. Um, And that means that if you want your code, the the code that you wrote or the the changes that you made, if you want other people to run this code, well, you have to convince them. Um, And you convince them, first of all, by telling them about this code. So you have to publish it somewhere that people can go and download the code that you've just written. Um, And then, well, you know convince them to install it you can't brute force it to install them that would be malware or some you know phishing site that installs software that that you actually don't want you know you you uh, as as soon as people see a perceived marginal benefit in using your software compared to any other alternative right? so your software solves a problem for them that nothing else solves as good as you do or or your software does um and uh, and then they will choose to download and and run it um and then of course if if Different software projects, so to say, different applications, build up a user base, a reputation, a contributor base. Um, and so there, then all of a sudden it's a team of people working on software that a, a large number of users are using. And this makes it, of course, much more complicated. Now you're no longer alone, a single developer changing code on by yourself. You know You have other people whom you might have to convince that there is actually a problem here that you're trying to address. Uh, that your solution is solving that problem and that there is no other obvious solution that would address the problem even better. You know? So that's well, um, collaboration and, and lots of communication um, and uh, people might disagree with, uh, with what you're proposing, it might not be an actual problem, uh, maybe actually it works exactly as it's intended to work and you're breaking the software now, that happens frequently too. And so this review process is very important uh, to convince other people who are actively contributing to the project, software project, that the changes that you propose are are good uh, or excellent. Um, And that's, of course, difficult as any human uh, relationship is. Uh, And yeah, then you have, if you convince the people who are maintaining or managing that software project, um, then it will be, your changes will be included into this software project and included in the release uh, that is shipped under that reputable brand of the the software that has an established user base, etc. So if you succeed in merging your code changes to a software project that already is existing, um, and then they ship it out, your your code is going to be used very fast by by a lot of people. And um, that's that's what the platform GitHub is, right? Yes. <laughs> Are there any other platforms? Well, explain mm-hmm. what GitHub is first. Yeah, for that I think we first have to explain what Git is. Uh, Git is the the original blockchain. <laughs> it's like a, a protocol from 2001 or something. Didn't know that. Um, uh, it's it's literally a chain of blocks. Um, just like in, in in Bitcoin, right? You have uh, basically in Bitcoin you have uh, uh, transactions that are happening, you know, so who's paying whom, and you batch these transactions together into a block so that one block I don't know, 1000 transactions. And this is how we have a chronological chain of which transaction came before the other, etc. Uh, Git is kind of the same thing, but for tracking the changes of a file. So let's say you have a text file, You know it starts with nothing, and you write the first 10 lines of, of text. And now you, uh, you can make a, a block, so to say, a, a commit, which batches together all of these changes to the file that you made. Uh, And puts a hash on it, actually similar to to how Bitcoin hashes blocks. The same happens in Git. Um, And now you have the first version, so to say, uh, of this file. Um, And later you could add two additional lines and remove one of the lines that you wrote in the past. And you can put these three changes, again together in a batched commitment uh, or commit, to, you know, and, and now you see the difference, you know, so you started in the first commit with 10 lines added. The second commit is two lines added, one line subtracted.
0: Is it the same, sorry, is it the same concept that if you want to, f- can you retrospectively fork uh-huh. a Git? Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Because yeah. I, I tell you why this is relevant to me, because in my business, um, when you say in photography on Photoshop, when you deal with a file, Um, there's only so far back in the history that you can go without undoing everything you did. Mm -hmm. You can't go back to like a previous point in the history of you doing something to this photograph. Yeah. um, And then take it from, you 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 can't say, I want to take that bit out. Mm -hmm. You -hmm. can't do that. You can only go back and start Mm -hmm. again from that
1: point. Ah, I see, I see. Is that the same in in Git? In Git you actually can do that. It's called cherry picking. Uh So you're like, hey, I want to cherry pick this commit. You know, I just want the changes that were done in this commit. And you can do that. You just read that one block, uh, so to say.
0: And is it like a whole new chain from then onwards? Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, 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 a bit like, I how I visualize the Bitcoin chain. Is like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a fork causes another chain which runs parallel to mm-hmm. it. So if you were to take a commit from there
1: and... Yes. Yeah, so either, so in, in GitHub, you do have this, that every commit message uh, links to the previous. And right? so just in Bitcoin, every Bitcoin block... Has the transaction, uh, the the Bitcoin block hash of the previous block included? So there's like a chain of reference, and and if you would change the the content of one of the early blocks, all of the later blocks would become invalid. Right? So it's tamper evident. If you change one piece of information in the past, then the 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 later part of the timeline, so to say, is is no longer valid. And in Git, is the same thing, right? It's a it's a hash chain of blocks. Um, and that. What does Git stand for, by the way? To be honest, I have no idea. <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, Three-letter program wor- uh, titles are, are very frequent, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Git and GitHub then. Exactly. So GitHub is a way is a social media network that uh, y- where multiple people that use Git. Uh, can talk to each other to share their git commit messages and and to synchronize their work um uh, yeah basically so so the original git was designed for emails so these commit messages these bundles uh, or blocks of, of file changes were sent via emails back and forth and and um, you could keep up to date with everyone right so if, if you're working with three people on the same File, you know, someone makes changes and they can push those changes to you via email, for example, and then you can see what they changed and add it to to your uh, Git chain. Uh, But maybe there might be some conflicts, right? Maybe you just edited the same file uh, or the same lines in the same file and you didn't yet tell the other person about it, right? So two people work at the same time on on that piece of code. But with Git, you can resolve those conflicts quite elegantly Um, uh, uh, and uh, this could be done via email. But GitHub is, let's say, a social media network where you create an account, you know, you can set your profile picture, et cetera, um, and you can there, uh, you can send your Git history to the server, right? So to the social media site server, you can, instead of emailing your friends all of these Git changes, you just send them to that server and your friends can create an account there and download uh, the Git uh, chain uh, that, that you've created, et cetera. And there's a comment section and all of the other fancy things that, that such a site should And it's have.
0: also where users go to, yeah. to download the latest version of an open source bit of
1: software, right? Exactly, exactly. And uh, you could run this GitHub site yourself, like the Git server, first of all, is super easy to run yourself. You could run it on any laptop, basically, and pull data from one laptop to the other this way, as, for example, is possible. Um, or you can run your own Web server that runs this quote unquote social media site with a graphical user interface in the browser, um, where you see all the folders that you have, all the data that you have, etc. Um, so where you send your your Git chain of of blocks is is totally up to you. Again, can be emails, can be GitHub, can be GitLab, which is one of those self-hosted alternatives. Um, and yeah. So
0: I mean, I've heard people um, comment that GitHub's a dangerous centralized source of all, uh, you know, open source software. Mm -hmm.
1: Is that is that true or is that? Yeah, to some extent. I mean, Git is thankfully very decentralized. It's like every Bitcoin full node has the entire blockchain, so to say. Every Git developer has the entire history of the code base. And so if you download a Git repository, you see everything that changed from the very first file that was created and who made the changes and when they were made, etc. And everyone working on this code has a copy of that. So even if GitHub shuts down, closes your account, deletes all the data, gets hacked, whatever, every developer still has everything that's in this Git tree, uh, so to say, or, or Git chain, um, uh, which means that the code, you know, information longs to be free and it's very censorship resistant that way. The big problem of GitHub, however, is that it does more than just Git, right? It's the social media network on top of Git, so to say. So your username, your avatar picture, all the comments that you left uh, in the social media network, all the friends that you follow, all the re- repositories that you've starred, etc., all of this very valuable metadata uh, that is hosted exclusively on GitHub servers. Um, you can make backups of that So that in case they run away, you at least have access to that data. Uh, But that is definitely a big problem. And we've seen that frequently. Uh, GitHub, which is, by the way, owned by Microsoft, uh, has frequently censored developers from from using their website, their social media uh, site, so to say. Um, You know, most notably were, were for example, some uh, Iranian developers. Uh, Because Iran was on the sanction list, all of a sudden Iranian developers, even living outside of Iran, uh, just got kicked out um and and uh that's definitely a big problem Uh, thankfully there's lots of alternatives um but github is useful because again it's the social media network of millions of developers so everyone is on there everyone can follow each other's work it's it's great to discover new projects it's great to uh, kind of get reputation of people you see their proof of work of what have they done in the past etc it's an extremely useful platform for developers and uh, that's why many people use it. And then, yeah, it becomes a, sin- a single point of failure. I've got a really stupid question here that's
0: just occurred to me. And I I should definitely know the answer to this. But is is Bitcoin's
1: source code on GitHub? Yes, it is. Is that where it started? Is that where it started? That's a really good question. I think GitHub is younger than Bitcoin. I, if, I, I'm, I might be completely wrong on this, but I think GitHub 2011 or something like this. Um, so, the original Bitcoin source code was, as far as I remember, well, first of all, sent via email. Um, uh, Satoshi sent some code or, or, or binary packages, at least, uh, to Hal Finney uh, via email, if I remember that correctly. And then the source code got originally published at, at SourceForge. SourceForge is another website, kind of old and outdated by now. Uh, but this is—I don't know if it's still being used, to be honest. Uh, but there, people could download the source code of software projects.
0: But if you're an, if you're someone that um, if you're working on the Bitcoin mm-hmm. source code, where do
1: you do that? Yeah. How do you do it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And here, so there's the Bitcoin core software project, uh, which has hundreds, many hundreds of contributors, um, and they do meet on so the 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 Git. History is stored on GitHub, um, as well as a lot of the metadata. Right, so new uh, issues that need to be worked on, etc., are kept there, or comments from other people, etc., or even proposed changes to the source code of Bitcoin are, are stored there. And the comments and review of that, especially the review, is incredible, incredibly valuable metadata that GitHub keeps. Um, and and so that unfortunately is is with, Git, uh, with GitHub. Um, there are other ways or other places where people communicate about working on the Bitcoin source code, uh, There their IRC channels, you know, the chat forum from ages ago, and the and mailing list uh, that's extremely active, uh, and yeah, some other places, but GitHub is definitely a big, big, big part of the Bitcoin core development process. Uh, however, there is ongoing backups for all of the metadata going on. And so, um, yeah, in the case, GitHub would kick out the Bitcoin core software project, from their pl- uh, platform, nothing nothing critical will blow up, but a lot of disruptions and inefficiencies would be caused. You know, you need to move all the contributors to somewhere else. You need to import all of the old metadata to that new place and then start working with that metadata again, which isn't always easy, right? Because GitHub works differently than other solutions like GitLab, for example. There might be issues when synchronizing between these two different service providers, etc. Um, and there, there would definitely be Confusion and frustration, but ultimately, Bitcoin would not be deleted just because it's removed from GitHub.
0: Um, it may, I, I mean, are people working on uh, creating a decentralized place to host the Bitcoin source code? I mean, that would seem mm-hmm. to me to be quite important.
1: Yeah, it's just difficult. Is it? <laughs> I mean, so to to keep the actual code is is trivial. Like the the code of Bitcoin Core will never ever be forgotten Um, uh, people always have it all of the versions of it it's it's such an important piece of of software that it it will always be backed up somewhere the big question is just where's the shelling point where where people go to communicate about continuously improving it Um, and yeah that's that's an issue that that will will probably change across the future and yeah there are different there's a bunch of different software projects that try to make github so to, to try to provide a service like GitHub while relying less on a single trusted third party um, and while increasing the privacy as well. Uh, GitHub knows a lot about its users um, and a lot about the code that they're writing on. And a lot of Bitcoin developers uh, prefer to to remain anonymous, so to to not attribute their contributions to Bitcoin to, to their identity. Um, uh, and GitHub can be a big... Uh, attack vector here as well. right? They might de-anonymize important contributors to, who are working on Bitcoin and put them and their lives at, at substantial risk. Um, so there's many reasons uh, why we could improve the service that GitHub offers. There's also many reasons why GitHub is currently still around and it won't be going anywhere for, for a while. Um, it's, it's, it's a really useful service and alternative solutions would really have to go into providing Yeah, you know, of of making it even better and it's difficult to make something a lot better in a secure, private, decentralized way. You know, doing things uh, centralized and and not uh, blinded or not anonymous is is a lot easier. And um, it probably will continue to have a couple of really useful features that that developers will want.
0: It's good that you're talking about privacy because that's, I think, at the core of who you are and what you do. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, definitely. It's one of the other things that I learned recently of, of how important this is and where it tied into a lot of the Austrian economic uh, understanding that I have as well. Uh, this is maybe one of the other big learnings that I had while working at Deutsche Bank. You know, I as a low-level employee, you know, like, like a student level, like really as, as, as low-level as you could possibly get <laughs> in, in the company hierarchy, let's say. Yet still, I had access to view the transactions of basically every customer. Of the bank. Really? Yeah. Like you see how much total money they have, you see where they live, you see how much money they spend on their credit card. If they shop at Amazon, or but if they go to officially you could do
0: that. Or are you talking about you could
1: pop round into someone's office and get on a terminal? And so, my user account to the to, to the company infrastructure had access, read access to all of this data. Not for every customer. There are certain high net worth individuals or politically exposed people that I could legitimately, yeah, if you wanted to. If if I wanted to, I had the power. Um, I was told to not use that power un- unless it is relevant. So to not look up, you know, how much money is my neighbor earning or something. Like, if he's not my customer, I shouldn't be looking into it. Um, and probably there were some checks in the back end, you know, to make sure that comp- employees are not snooping around. But I had the power to. I had the access rights to it. Like, me as a low-level employee, mm. you know. And that's that's so weird. Mm. That's so, so weird. So uh, that triggered
0: in you a, a a mission, let's say, to sort of like work on that kind of stuff. Is that what, fair to say? Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, and uh, it, it, so I, I realized the inc- utter lack of financial privacy at the banking system. And I realized the utter importance of having privacy on the economic and, and psychological front. So, so privacy is the ability to selectively reveal yourself to the world, right? that that you can choose what you say and whom you say it to. Right? And that choice is being taken away uh, by by lots of people. right? Like when you have your bank account, there's no real choice of, hey, do you want every employee in that bank to know exactly where you're spending your money? There's incredible amounts of, of sensitive information that is just being revealed to people by default. Uh, and... Oftentimes users don't even know about it, right? They they don't have quote-unquote informed consent uh, to to sharing this information. They just want to receive and send payments. That's all they want. That's the actual problem that they have. And the solution that is being provided gives them that. You can receive and send payments uh, with a bank, but it's only possible if you go completely transparent. If you tell them who you are, where you live, how much money you make, who pays you, whom do you pay, how much money do you save, You know, etc. All of this information has to be provided in order to use that service, Uh, and that means that your your range of privacy, the the extent or the the range of options that you can choose from of how you would engage in in this world is extremely limited. There is no option for you to receive money without telling it to all the employees of the bank, for example.
0: What uh, the, the most common pushback against the idea of any kind of privacy really but certainly financial privacy is um but you know like the only way we can find out who the bad guys are mm. is by by monitoring what's going on so what's the why is that wrong why is that bad why is it you know i mean it, there is a benefit to monitoring for example mm-hmm. like take uh, you you're a sort of you work on privacy in bitcoin transactions for example now if bitcoin transactions are private um, then presumably people that want to hide nefarious transactions are going to flood in is that is that is there any truth in this at all is it what's the what's the answer to that common rebuttal
1: of of privacy well it's all about the, the freedom of choice you know like and and with that there's the ability to choose and right? you so it's it's just a reality of of life um of of this world that you have a choice of how to act and how to reveal yourself to the world and it's not just you that has the choice it's everyone and and this includes the choice of doing bad things of stealing from your neighbor or uh, of spying on people you know these these are um these are things that that you have the ability and the the mental capacity to choose to do um, and this includes for, for everyone. So we cannot eradicate all you know, a crime from, from ever occurring because it's part of the human condition. Right? You, you choose every moment if, if you want to steal or, or if you don't, uh, basically. You always have the ability to do so. Um, and uh, that, so while th- there is the opportunity or the, the, like the capacity of, of bad things happening and now the big question is what do we do about that? Um, and one proposed solution is let's let's spy on everyone. Let's get all the important information about everyone. What, what are they thinking? What are they doing? Uh, what are they planning to do? And if they plan or, or to do something bad, or if they are doing something bad, then then we need to you know intervene and, and stop them from doing that. And well, that's all right. But you know, again, individuals, including the people whom you're trying to surveil right now, have the ability to choose how to reveal themselves to you uh, and, and, and to others. Right, so um, criminals won't uh, won't just follow your 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 lead in terms of okay, sure, let's let's uh, let's you know be transparent now. Let's tell everyone about these transactions. If criminals don't want you to learn about certain things that are happening, they they will find ways of doing that. Um, but you'd say law-abiding citizens will, will not, right? They um, they will if if the law requires it uh, will be transparent you know we'll use bank accounts that require to know the the full identity and location etc um and meaning then we decrease the range of options for for everyone we we decrease the ability to choose for everyone uh, including the honest people who are not stealing from anyone um, um, however, the bad guys who are not following the rules you know by by definition uh, they they still remain the ability to to not be transparent, um, e- even though, like, yes, they, they will break your rules uh, by uh, hiding somehow or s- something, uh, but still they have the ability to. So ultimately, that surveillance mechanism doesn't stop them. Um, it, it cannot stop them. A- a- and crime will continue to happen, yet uh, um, honest people are, or and, and peaceful people are, are being surveilled and restricted in, in their free choices substantially. Um, so great, now, now we have a dictatorship, you're no longer allowed to say what you want, uh, or, or to not say what you want, um, You uh, all of a sudden you have to speak when, when you're asked to, and you have to tell exactly what is being asked of you, uh, and that means you're a slave. And well, great, so now we've created a system of a bunch of slaves, and uh, criminals are still out there, and they're still breaking the rules that you set out, um, but... Well, one thing that changed in in these two scenarios is is that the guy doing the surveillance just turned into the slave master. Um, And now we have one additional criminal to deal with. Uh, We didn't solve the situation. We just made it worse.
0: So, I mean, what you're basically saying is regardless of what we do, we always end up with roughly the same amount of criminal activity. The only difference with the surveillance is we end up... um, with the, everyone, the good guys losing out.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So in the first one, you know under surveillance, some of the bad guys lose out, but all all of the good guys. and in the
1: non-surveillance, none of the bad guys, but none of the good guys either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. exactly. And well there's there's way you know what we actually want to prevent is not people to speak and think freely. That's not what we want to prevent. right what we want to prevent is crime, people stealing from each other and people murdering right? That's, that's what we actually want to prevent. Um, and well, we can prevent that, you know, we can work on addressing that problem per se, um, you know, by, for example, I, you know, if you want to prevent someone from breaking into your house, well, add a lock, you know, or make it a thicker door or whatever, but use real life obstacles and real life mechanisms to, to ensure that your property cannot be violated. And uh, uh, this is what Bitcoin does, by the way. Bitcoin is a way to create a monetary system that's just so substantially more difficult to steal from than anything we've seen in the past. You know, to steal physical gold coins, it's actually pretty easy. You know, you walk into someone's place and you hit him on the head and you take the gold coin and there's little you can do about it. But with Bitcoin, all of a sudden you can have multi-signature smart contracts with time locks and God knows how many edge conditions that define the exact property rights or, or the rules of, of how this Bitcoin can be spent. And nobody can break those rules. It's, it's just not possible. Bitcoin does not allow for it. Um, so Bitcoin is a, a great tool to protect the definition of who can spend the coin to be unchangeable, literally unchangeable. Um, and well, that that means that theft, which we tried to avoid in the first place, is, is now impossible or at least a lot more costly. Uh, and these are it's basically the cypherpunk ideal, right? To use modern-day technologies to define and establish the property rights of individuals in cyberspace uh, and to make sure that the theft and surveillance is not possible anymore, literally not possible. Um, and I think that's a pretty that's a pretty straightforward and, and good solution and it doesn't harm the private uh, the privacy or the property of anyone else. Okay, so here's my question that I've just it's
0: just occurred to me another thing. It's often said criminals don't use Bitcoin because they'd be stupid to because everything's public. And it's very forensics of the Bitcoin blockchain are pretty easy because, you know, it's, it's, it's there and everyone can see it. Everyone can access it. Um, so if you add privacy tools to Bitcoin, does
1: that whole argument dissipate? It's, it's a very nuanced argument because Bitcoin provides a great range of privacy and it always has basically since the beginning. Um, you can use Bitcoin in a very private way where very little information gets revealed about yourself t- uh, to the outside world. Like for example, by default, uh, coins in Bitcoin you know, are not tied to your identity. It's just a public key. It's, it's not your name and address you know, that's on the blockchain. Um, and uh, you, know, you can generate a fresh address every time and they just look indistinguishably random. So each new coin that's been created could be belonging to anyone basically, um, to, to some extent, right? Then there's a lot of nuances in how do you find out how much money you have. And right? so if you, you should do that by running your own full node. So by verifying every transaction that ever happened in the history of Bitcoin, and then seeing which of those belong to you. It's a very hard computationally task. It takes a couple of days to do that um, from scratch. Um, but, but you can do it just by yourself. The other alternative, basically, is, is to give someone else the addresses that you're interested in. Like, hey, what is the total balance of all of these 10 addresses on the blockchain? Give me all the transaction history that's related to these. And someone else can do that, right? That's basically what a Block Explorer website does. Someone else did all the verification of the Bitcoin transactions and now is telling you how much money is on a certain address. Of course, the big downside, then, you know, you have to uh, give that other person the address and he knows that these ten addresses probably belong to the same person, etc
0: Can you in really simple lay terms? explain how privacy tools work mm-hmm. on the blockchain Like we so we have a we have a we have a chain of transactions which are visible to anyone they can anyone can explore this chain and see every single Mm -hmm. transaction so if i know so if i buy something at amazon tomorrow and i pay with bitcoin on the on the base chain you can automatically associate that transaction with a particular address from where the bitcoins came Mm -hmm. and then from that transaction i can now see everything that's going to happen in the future and everything that can happen in the past, and that's that's why people say Bitcoin's terrible for criminals, mm-hmm. because as soon as they get associated with a particular address, then anything that comes from that address in the future, we know they have a hand in it, mm-hmm. and everything from the past we we can we can use forensics to see 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 historically. Mm-hmm. So how does like what for example? I I know for a fact that you have software that anonymizes. The Bitcoin, a chain of Bitcoin transactions. Is that a way, that's a good way to describe it,
1: isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So um, so I, I'm working on Wasabi Wallet. It's a it's a software wallet that uh, allows you to generate private keys right? To, uh, to find out how much money you have on these addresses in a private way, by the way, and then to receive and send money privately uh, with the kicker being uh, coin join transactions. So in uh, the difference between a regular transaction and a join transaction is quite similar. Uh, quite simple actually. A regular transaction you do by yourself. Right? So you're saying, hey, I, I received these three different coins in the past, and I'm spending them now on the input side of a transaction. And I want to create, I want to pay a merchant for pizza. so he the merchant gave me this address. And he wants one Bitcoin, so I'm writing that there. Right? And then I get my change output back, right? So there's three inputs, let's say, and two outputs in this transaction. And all of these inputs belong to the same person. Right? And when you look at any transaction on the Bitcoin blockchain, and you assume that all of the inputs in the transaction belong to the same person, in most cases, you would be correct. Um, because most cases of Bitcoin transaction is just one person sending that payment. Right? But then again, now you know that these three coins belong to the same person. You didn't know that before because each of these three coins have a unique randomly looking address that are not tied to each other. They get tied to each other at the point when you're spending them together. And a coin join transaction then on the other hand is a way for a group of people to make a Bitcoin transaction together. And so each of uh, us, I don't know, 20 people or something have a couple coins that we want to spend on the input side of the transaction and a couple addresses uh, on the output side of the transaction that we want to pay um, the merchants and our change. Um, And instead of doing 20 transactions all by ourselves, uh, we do one transaction together where we all put our inputs together and the outputs together. And so we create this huge transaction, 300 inputs, 300 outputs. It is still a valid Bitcoin transaction. Because for each of the inputs, it's a valid coin that actually exists on the blockchain. There's a valid signature saying that this coin can actually be spent in this particular transaction. And then there's a bunch of outputs on this transaction, but the value of the outputs is smaller than the value of the inputs. And so we're not creating money out of nothing. We're not spending money that we didn't have. We're not having more outputs. We're not paying people more money than we put on the input side of the transaction. Uh, these are kind of the three important rules of, of a Bitcoin transaction, and a coin join satisfies all of them. There is no rule in the Bitcoin network that says that a transaction can only be made by one person, otherwise it's invalid. Such a rule does not exist. That's just the default way of how we get to use Bitcoin. Usually, when you make a transaction, it's just you, your, your own or your own software wallet basically doing it. A coin join is just a way of, of getting a bunch of people together to do this process together. Um, making it bigger, and the the effect of that is basically we've just increased the size of the crowd. You know, usually when you make a Bitcoin transaction by yourself, there's one guy walking along the street, and you're like, "Hey, look, there's Tim walking." Uh-huh. Uh, very easy to point you out if if the size of the crowd is one, <laughs> but if the size walking down the size of the crowd walking down the streets is a hundred, so a hundred people walking there, and I'm like, "Hey, look, where's Tim over there?" You know, it's it gets a lot more difficult to. To point you out, uh, to to give a name to the person that's walking there, um, and a coin join does exactly that. Instead of you alone making a Bitcoin transaction, there's hundreds of users doing it together, and now it becomes a lot more difficult to say, "Hey, look, these three inputs belong to the same guy," because there's 300 inputs in this transaction. How are you going to pick three of them to belong to the same guy? It's a lot more difficult. Is it?
0: Uh, am I getting this straight? So if 300 people are all spending one uh, make it really simple If 300 people are all spending one bitcoin um no yeah let's say it like that If 300 people are all spending one bitcoin is it like okay we know that the outputs should be 301 bitcoin outputs right so everyone throws all their coins into a, a bag and someone shakes it up and then they just pay
1: randomly. Is that mm-hmm. kind of how it's working? That's kind of how it's working. yes. the The trick is that inside a Bitcoin transaction, uh, the the satoshis, the, the units of money, right like the atoms of gold, like or grams of gold, like the actual quantity of money, the units of money, are perfectly fungible. it's It's not that you say, okay, the the money from the first input got paid into the second output address. And the money of the second input got paid into the first output address, for example. That's not how it works, technically speaking. All that is a transaction is a collection of inputs and a collection of outputs. And the rule is that the value of the outputs is smaller than the value of the inputs. And that's it. There is no direct flow from first input to second output, for example.
0: Why why is the value of the outputs less than the value of the inputs? Um, They
1: take a fee? Yes, the, the difference is the mining fee. Basically, you can have a mining fee of zero. So uh, the, the actual rule is like less or equal than the inputs, right? You could have 10.00 Bitcoin on the input side and 10.00 Bitcoin on the output side. It's correct. Just a miner is not going to get paid. So he's probably not going to get So does this it cost
0: more to make a coin join transaction than a normal transaction?
1: It's a really good question, by the way. Um, <laughs> and there's, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah uh, okay if let's let's take the first naive example right so you you have we said three inputs that you want to spend and you're paying for pizza, so you create one output for the merchant, one output for yourself, and those three inputs are different coins that you're bringing together to create
0: enough value. To exactly. pay, to pay you, right?
1: Exactly, right. So one time you got paid from your employer, then the other time your grandma paid you money, and then the next was Just a friend. Just so that people know, each Bitcoin transaction has its own, well, has its its own UTXO, its own,
0: it's a it's a, an independent thing. So sometimes you have to batch them together to yes. create enough value to pay for something.
1: Exactly, yeah. right. It's like you're same with with fiat banknotes. You know, yeah. you have a payment of forty dollars, and you have a twenty, a twenty and a ten, yes, you know, you have yeah. to combine the twenty and twenty to get yeah. two forty. Yeah. It's kind of the same with Bitcoin, coins. Um and so uh um so no I've i just got squares oh yeah, right. on my okay. page. <laughs> about, the, about the the, the size of, of uh like is it more expensive to yes. do a coin yeah, 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 So uh, there's another thing that a Bitcoin transaction has, and that's kind of the transaction header. It's the, the overhead cost, kind of that includes things like the transaction ID and some other little metadata. So, a tiny piece of data that's always the same, it's like a fixed cost. Right? So, you always have a transaction header and then at least one input, at least one output. You could have the transaction header and 100 inputs and 100 outputs, right, for example. So, there's always one transaction header and that has a certain size. And then for each additional input that you add, the size gets larger. And for each additional output you get, the size of the transaction gets larger.
0: Ah, I know what you're going to say now. Mm -hmm.
1: And that's what, And yeah, I get it now. It's more expensive the more inputs there are. Um, it, It is more totally expensive, right? Because if you have, of course, 100 inputs, 100 outputs, that's way more data size and therefore way more money or cost than if you have one input, one output, obviously, right? But there's a nuance here, right? Because... So we have this three inputs to output payment that you're making. And let's say there's hundreds of other people that are doing this as well, right? So each of each of you guys can make their own unique transaction. So we end up with a hundred different transaction. you each spending one or three inputs and creating one or two or three outputs, whatever. Plus each of these transactions has the transaction header. Um, so the small fixed cost that each transaction carries. Now that's the way that it, that's how much block space we're using if, if we do it all by ourselves. If we do it in a coin join altogether, each still is spending their three inputs, let's say, and creating their two outputs. So the numbers of inputs and outputs don't change, but we only have one transaction. So there's only one transaction header instead of 100 transaction headers. So instead of each of you or each of the people making a payment having to pay for their own transaction header, when we make a transaction together, you kind of split that cost of a single transaction header among 100 people. And then that's why it's, in fact, the, the most efficient way to, to make payments is to batch them all together. Instead of making hundreds of individual transactions for each one payment, and you make one transaction with 100 payments, it's a lot, a lot cheaper. And it's cheaper if you do that as a single person, then this is known as transaction batching. Right, so you're, let's say you're, uh, you, you, you have 10 employees and you want to pay them on salary day, you could make 10 different transactions with 10 payments to each of them. Right? But then again, you have your transaction header, etc. Um, and alternatively, you could buy yourself, let's say, only one input that you control and 10 outputs to each of the employees, for example. You could do that. And that's a lot, a lot cheaper than making 10 individual transactions. So the the uh, the cost of a coin join blockchain speaking wise is actually extremely efficient, and it's it's even as efficient as, like just when you make when you make it very naively, um, adding the inputs and outputs together just as you would have done them in in individual payments. How, however, it the 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 efficiency of a coin join gets even more noticeable when you don't just want to make a payment, but when you want to make a private payment. That's all of a sudden costs you a lot more block space. Right? Um, maybe let's say you, um, a, a naive example again, right? You received coin a coin from an exchange, let's say you withdrew from Kraken, and now you don't want Kraken to know or the exchange to know where you're spending that money next or when you're spending it or how long you're holding on to it. So one thing that you could do all by yourself is spend the coin that you just received from Kraken and create on the input side of a new transaction and create, on the output side of this transaction, two outputs. Both of them go to you, actually. You're not sending the money to someone else. You're just destroying that one coin that Kraken gave you and creating two new coins. Now Kraken, when they look at that transaction, they know that the input belongs to you, for sure, right? Because that was the address you gave them when you requested the withdrawal. But then there's two outputs, and they don't know if this is a payment that you just made, if you paid two people, or if you didn't pay anyone, um, for example. And you can repeat this multiple times, right? So you keep spending the coin that you just sent to yourself and you just shuffle left pocket, right pocket. The, you don't send the money to someone else. You just make a bunch of transactions that look like you were doing it, which, basically.
0: Which creates
1: plausible deniability. Yes. Is that right? Right. Yes. So let's say there's 10 transactions that you make. And now Kraken thinks, okay, so this coin might be might belong to 10 different people, like one of 10 different possible people for example because there were 10 transactions maybe it, it changed hands right so basically you have an anonymity set size of 10 uh, your your the size of your crowd is 10 there were 10 po- 10 points where the money could have changed hands right and and maybe it's not so maybe it still belongs to you right that would be the one correct interpretation of of these multiple transactions on the blockchain but again you just made 10 transactions right and meaning you had to you know, spend for 10 times the inputs and 10 times the outputs and 10 times the transaction header. All of a sudden, it's quite expensive. You've created hundreds of, or tens or hundreds of coins, etc. It's a lot of size. But wait a minute, what's that got to do with CoinJoin? Now I'm getting exactly. confused. So this is, this. if you want to make a private payment, meaning you've received from Kraken, you don't want Kraken to know how much money you send to whom, etc. You could create a lot of fake looking payments yourself right. this is nothing to do buy with yourself coin. nothing yeah. to do with coin join right mm. but that's super expensive you have to pay for tens of inputs tens of outputs etc yeah
0: it's worth mentioning i don't know whether everyone understands this but the the fee you pay to send a bitcoin transaction is is dependent upon how much data there is exactly in the file yes so so 10 transactions Basically, batch up the, the amount of data, and you pay more for your
1: mining fee. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Mm. The more data, block space, data that we consume—literally ones and zeros, bits and bytes, text—you know—the more text we write, the more expensive it gets. Um, and so, with a coin join, what you can do instead, instead of making ten transactions by yourself, you make one transaction, but with hundreds of others of people. Right. So you take the coin from Kraken that you've just received, and you put it on the input side of the coin join. But there's hundreds of other inputs here. And on the output side, you can directly put the payment that you want to make, you know, to buy the pizza and you don't want Kraken to crack into know that this is the pizza that I'm actually buying. Um, now, you can create the output of the pizza merchant directly there, together with hundreds of other outputs, plus your change output. You know, the the 10 Bitcoin minus 1 Bitcoin for pizza is 9 Bitcoin change for you, let's say. and. Kraken, no, so Kraken looks at the blockchain and they're like, hey, look, Tim just spent the money that we sent to him, but he spent it in a transaction, not by himself, but with hundreds of other inputs and outputs. So we're not exactly sure, does Timothy, Tim own all of these inputs? Is he super rich? Or if there's hundreds of people together and you know, this is the only coin he has? Does he have one other coin on the input side? Maybe five other inputs? you know? And on the output side, which of these hundreds of outputs actually belongs to him? you know, or, or to the merchant that he sent it to, and, and how much money did he send here, hmm. right? So Kraken all of a sudden has a lot of uncertainty about what just happened in this transaction, right? They don't know how much money you own in this transaction because they don't know if you have other inputs. They don't know how much money you kept in this transaction. Did you keep all of the outputs to yourself um, that, that you had? Or, or did you make a payment to the pizza merchant? All of these things are uncertain. But now let's compare the block space. You just paid for one input, two outputs and like one hundredth of a transaction header instead of when you do it by yourself 10 inputs 20 outputs and 10 times the transaction header that the the size is substantially larger um, uh, uh, when you want to make a private payment by yourself and so what a coin join does is to decrease the amount of block space the amount of cost that the individual user has to make private payments it's a way to to spend your Bitcoin privately a lot cheaper than you otherwise would have. Um, and that's why CoinJoin is extremely efficient. And that's why I think CoinJoin has a, a serious chance of being the, the default way of, of using Bitcoin. It's it's incredibly cheap and it provides a substantial amount of privacy. And if people care about their privacy and, and prefer to have that option to make payments that are not attributed to them, which I think many people would prefer that, um, then I think many people will use it.
0: and. It's true, isn't it, that um, the wallet that you make um, does it automatically, is that right?
1: Yeah, exactly. So the, the entire problem that our project is trying to address, and that was, by the way, formulated in 2015, uh, just after Christmas, by our founder, Adam Fix, or Nopara 73 um, that using Bitcoin anonymously is difficult and expensive and slow. And that's that's a big problem, um, because, uh, well, yeah, it's a big problem. And and so what we try, is to make it easier, to use Bitcoin privately, to make it cheaper, and also to make it faster. Um, and um, the ease of use matters. So especially with our second version of Wasabi, we made, for example, things like the CoinJoin on chain the default. It just happens in the background, and um, you you just don't have to worry about it basically there's no need to click a button just receive money and and wait a little bit and these coin joins happen and then you can send money and um you're you're good basically
0: so how much does it actually cost on top of the you know like how much does the wallet charge for example for a coin mm-hmm. join or is there is there a presumably you have to make money somehow as the wallet so
1: yeah so the the first thing that any bitcoin wallet has to charge for is the block space and right, so you pay the miner to include your transaction into a block based on how large the size of your transaction is. Uh, just the same with Wasabi, right?
0: But in a coin join, is that
1: the um, input mm-hmm. amount? The the number of inputs. Yes. So the more number of inputs you have, the lo- the more you have to pay. What I mean
0: is, you said that when you batch things together, you save you mm-hmm. save money. Yes. Does com- does a coin join? Ways. So so does a wallet still give you that saving?
1: Um. It. I mean, ultimately, you, you still spend money to the miner, right? It's not that you that you don't pay anything to the miner or that the miner pays you, it's it's not that. It's just it, uh, other solutions that provide a similar feature are extremely more expensive, like 10 times, 100 times, I'm not sure, uh, but a lot more expensive. But ultimately, still, you have to buy block space um, if, if you do a coin join. Um, and then the other thing is, um, basically how much privacy do you want? Like is it okay for you that it's just a little difficult for Kraken to find out that you just made the pizza payment here? And it's just like you have you know it's Kraken is not gonna come after you anyway and you just want to have a little, you know, minimum amount of, of, of security here. So probably just doing, you know, your input directly into the coin join and making the payment in the coin join is good enough. Right. But still the problem is that Kraken knows, hey look, his coin, Tim's coin, just went into this transaction, right? Um, so that is still attributable. And then they, they know that some of these outputs probably belong to you. Now, what you can do um, is basically to uh, in, instead of making a payment in a coin join directly, you spend the money to yourself. Right? so you're not paying someone else. You, you have, let's say, two Bitcoin on the input side and two Bitcoin on the output side minus the fees. Uh, so you're not making payments. You're spending to yourself. But you can do that for multiple transactions on chain. Right? So just in the first example where when you want to get some ambiguity, you make 10 transactions to yourself so that uh, it's a bit more difficult to follow what's going on. You can do the same in a coin join. Do 10 coin joins after each other. But instead of each being a tiny transaction, each of them is a huge transaction. Hundreds of inputs, hundreds of outputs, and that 10 times. Right, So the amount of possible interpretations that could be done of like, hey, this input where we're sure it belongs to Tim, where did it go? Um, becomes even more diffi- or difficult to find out um, so doing these recurring coin joints is very beneficial to your privacy it also however comes at a cost of more block space and so the question of how much money will people spend in wasabi on block space depends on how much privacy they want you can you can turn off the coin join function right, and and just make payments and be really efficient that way or you can you know go paranoid and make hundreds of coinjoin transactions across months or years you know until you finally make your payment uh, that's going to be really expensive right? uh, and the this the second part uh, of of the fee does not go to the miner but it goes to uh, to my company the this for the coordination service that is provided so we provide a communication service uh, a social media network, basically, where you can find people who want to make a Bitcoin transaction right now and we basically connect you with them so that you can uh, do this together.
0: You've explained that badly. That makes it look like a a social media network. You mean that's the back end of your wallet, which basically does all that stuff. It's finding... People like yourself that to yeah. mix coins together,
1: exactly, right, so literally think of it as as a bulletin board, you know, like a, a whiteboard in cyberspace where people can come and say, like, "Hey, I want to spend this input you know and later they come, and I want to create this output so, and we just have a huge whiteboard where hundreds of people can come and just keep writing their inputs and outputs, and at the end we sign it and then it's done right, so it's a pure communication service that we provide um i just I just thought of something so
0: basically, presumably there are a lot of people in the world that don't like what you're doing. Um, Like, what's the legality of things like that? Like, yeah, like, what is the legality of things like that? Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's a bit of software jumbling up some bits. That's all it is. Yeah. But I should imagine someone somewhere thinks that's illegal. Is that right?
1: Yeah. um, It's, to be honest, it's, it's uncertain to a large extent. I mean, if you neutrally look at what we're doing,' we're, as you say, we're just passing messages along. you know we take a message from from one guy saying, hey, this is the input I want to write in this text file and you know we, we give that text and forward it to other people um, and we, we, we just do that. you know people send us text and we forward it to everyone else. Um, and uh, very importantly, we do not hold custody over the money of other users. We don't hold, we don't hold money of our users. Uh, it's it's a non-custodial service, so the users at any time point in time are the only ones that have access to the private keys. Uh, we cannot steal their money or we cannot run away with the money. So we're not a bank, we're not a money warehouse provider like other people are. A lot of the currently existing regulation in the Bitcoin space is on money warehouses. You know, If you hold the money of other people, that's some serious business and there's rightfully so a lot of regulation on how to do that properly um, because, well, it's not your money. It's your user's money, right? But then the regulation on a website where people can write a comment, you know, um, and where it's not even you can upload pictures and there might be, I don't know, child porn uploaded to your server, which is kind of an edge case. This can't even happen on our server because you can't upload a picture. Uh, you literally just pass a tiny bit of text uh, left and right. So in, uh, and, and we have confirmations of this from from multiple lawyers and, and uh, regulate, regulatory bodies that what we're doing is is not a money service business. It's a pure communication provider, um, and th- it is absolutely illegal, <laughs> absolutely legal what we do, well um, because freedom of speech and um, we ch- we just talk to people basically. Uh, and likewise, is the usage of of this tool fully legal? Um, again, you're not engaging in a custodial relationship. Um, it is as legal as holding your Bitcoin by yourself, um, and uh, it is as legal as spending bitcoin by yourself um uh, meaning you know for example if you would uh, you know buy uh, some weapons of mass destructions or something with your bitcoin well probably people are going to get angry at you for this uh, but they get angry because you're buying weapons of mass destructions not because of the way that you talked while making that payment you know um uh, it's so CoinJoin is basically ju- it's very similar to using a vpn to be honest um, it's uh, and the VPNs are legal, etc. Um, it's so the the intent of the service that we provide is is for one uh, block space efficiency and of course for the other privacy, right? And yes, privacy is a, contential or con- a contentious uh, or contended controversial, contentious service. Yes, and and some people don't like it, um, but I believe that there is numerous ethical and legal reasons of why what we are doing is not just all right and should be tolerated, but, by, but because why, what we are doing is of the utmost importance in terms of human rights and in terms of security uh, and in terms of peace of mind. Um, a civil society is not possible without privacy. Uh, it is a slave society at that point. Um, and I have pretty high convictions in, in that what we're doing is, is ultimately correct if it won't ruffle some feathers i mean who knows well it is yeah i mean every time a big
0: something big happens and bitcoin was used um there's always someone somewhere saying oh it was coin joined here it was this that and the other you know any Mm -hmm. it's obvious that um you know (laughs) if if you want to hide a transaction you haven't got many tools at your disposal like you say and um the easiest one is one of them but um, I mean what is the attack vector on on you know this thing like because obviously privacy is on the way out it's a it's a trend as in the state doesn't like privacy the powers that be don't like privacy and um, it's really ramped up in the last 10 years um, when I was a kid privacy was a real thing and now like people are, being born into a system where and and people are saying it out loud now privacy is not a right you know i've heard i've heard various people up on the stage in positions of power starts hinting at the fact that privacy is not a, a right um you know it's 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 un um it's unethical to be private which is a crazy thing when you think about it but it really is being said so what's the attack vector on like a service like Wasabi, for example.
1: Well, ultimately, because we've we've designed the service in a way that the service provider has very little power over the user. Again, the service provider can't steal from the user or can't spy on the user, etc. Uh, what the service provider can do is deny service to a to anyone, basically. So that's the the extent of the attack vector. Um, I don't know, our servers get hacked and shut down, you know, or someone pulls the plug on the computer, etc. And that just means that, well, users can no longer communicate via our server with each other, right? We no longer pass the messages forward. Um so that's that's one option. Um but in in you know, even so one of the design architectures of, of Wasabi is that we assume that everyone knows what the coordinator knows. And so even if someone would uh, if if we would tweet out the entire logs of what happened on our computer for example, or a hacker gets access to it, there should not be any sensitive financial information here like the names of the people who use the service um, or or private keys to the money of the people who use the service or even ways to break the privacy of the people who used it um, so that's uh, that's some extent the, the the goal of of the architecture yeah. But
0: I mean presumably though, I mean i'm not nowhere near a lawyer but what you're doing is facilitating something isn't it i mean i don't know whether that's a legal term or whatever but um i you know are you are you all confident that um that you're you can't be indicted in indicted or whatever the word is in things that bad things that get bought or spent or transacted um I mean, I don't know how any of this works. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. just trying to think it through. It's It seems pretty obvious that the ne- when if someone, I don't know, it's very easy to implement a wallet in this situation by, okay, someone stole some money. They used your wallet to anonymize the money, and now we don't know where it is. Mm-hmm. It's your fault. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a, it's an obvious argument, isn't it? Even though, yeah, it's not, you know, in a way. The guy shouldn't have stolen the money. <laughs> no, yeah, it's as simple as that. Yeah, is that is that the legality of it as well?
1: Yeah, I think it's very similar to hey the the guy you know coordinated with someone on on WhatsApp or something to to steal your money, right? or, or he was driving a car by you know Volkswagen um, uh, as he got to the place where, where he stole the money, etc. He was wearing shoes from Nike as he was stealing the money and running away with it, right? So there's there's a huge difference in providing a service that happens to be used by criminals mm. versus providing a service that actively steals from people All right, I see my own uh, bias there my own bias had me thinking straight away well it's a criminal service yeah. that's interesting yeah. isn't it yeah and you know there's this is really a this is such a tough and, and complex problem and and one of the things is that obviously uh, so you know if you're a shoe provider if you're a restaurant owner or something you um, you know, and okay, so you're a restaurant owner, and like randomly someone walks into your your store, and you provide him a service. It just happens that he's a serial killer, and right? you had no idea about it though. Now, just because you you gave the man some food, does that mean you're you're actively complicit in the murders that he did? And well, well, probably not. Right? H- however, like if you actively know that hey, this guy is a serial killer, you know, and well, you know, he's coming into my restaurant. Sure, I can earn a buck by giving him a burger or something. Um, and now that's that's kind of different, right? To, to knowingly um, provide a service to to people that, that, you know, are criminal. Now, it's still, in my opinion, a question of, are you legally allowed to sell a criminal of food, for example, knowing that that he's a criminal? I, I, I would still argue, yes, there's nothing inherently, legally speaking, wrong with that. But there might be an ethical conundrum. Right? You could have in your restaurant, hey, if, like, I'm not going to give you food because I know you just mur- murdered a bunch of people. Like, I will decline you as a customer, which is the, the right and the power of the entrepreneur to do. You're not obligated to provide the service to anyone.
0: Um, okay, what about this then? So um, some money, some Bitcoin gets stolen, and it's sitting in an address, and you get a call from, I don't know, a bank or whatever, the US government, I don't know who, and they say, "Look, we know this money's stolen. If it arrives at your wallet, we'd really like you to stop it, mm-hmm. or re- we'd really like you to not allow it into a coin mm-hmm. join. What, what? How does that work?
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, it, so, can we can we take the money from the user? No, right. we we sorry, we can't steal the money back and and hold it uh, and give it back to the person who actually belongs it to. We don't have that power, unfortunately. Right." Um, we we don't, for example, know the the IP address that was used by that person, you know, to contact our server because he's using Tor, hmm. right? So so we can't help you of finding out. Hey, this guy is living in the Philippines or or something, you know. What we can do, and you rightly pointed out, is to deny service to that person, right? and this is something that that we actively do. Oh right. right? In in fact, okay. we we like so not just do we wait until people contact us uh, with hey these are criminal addresses, please don't allow them. Uh, in 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 fact, we. We check when a a new coin gets registered in, into our service. We check what's the additional metadata um, that that we can find in some databases ab- about this coin. Uh, specifically, we're looking for does this belong, you know, to to terrorists, to uh, you know, weapon dealers, to uh, child traffickers, etc. You know, all of all of these obviously bad people, um, whom you, uh, you you at least don't want to actively help them. You know, maybe you you don't have to try to stop them and and like try to arrest them and, and spend money on that, etc. But at least you know you you shouldn't be making their life any where
0: easier. Where does that data come from then? Like, how do you know? Where does where does that reside?
1: Mm-hmm. That's basically what all of these chain surveillance companies do. You know, like uh, chain analysis, etc. There's a bunch of them, um, and that's that's exactly what. So they they, do.
0: they have a database of illicit
1: coins. Yeah, they they have so they know. Uh, of course, all of the addresses and all of the coins that were on the blockchain ever, and they are continuously building a, de- uh, a database of metadata on top of that. Like, if they know that, hey, this is an address that is part of the Kraken cold uh, wallet, you know, that's how they store their, their money. Like, we know that, and that's tact, for example. Is
0: that a gray area? I would imagine Bitcoiners don't like the
1: yeah. association with... Um
0: Chain and chain analysis companies.
1: Yeah, definitely. This, this, there's, there's so much nuance here, and there's, there's pros and and downsides to this. Um,
0: so, I mean, so, sorry. Do you give them any information, or are you just mm-hmm. using their information and saying, like, or would you say, look, someone tried to spend
1: mm-hmm. here, you know? Yes. Yeah, so we we do give them the information of of which coin, uh, fresh coin actually wants to get registered right now. Anyone. Um, uh, well, we we give that basically to the, to the service provider uh, via their via an API request, All right? So they know that this certain address was interested in doing a coin join. The the thing is, hold on a minute. So if I tried to do a coin join, mm-hmm. would somebody
0: know? Would chain analysis know? I mean, would they know anyway, would they?
1: Or no? They would know anyway. Would they they
0: know I was making a coin join, though? Yes. That's That's the other thing, right? A coin join
1: looks super unique. Hundreds of inputs, hundreds of outputs. It looks very different than a one input to output transaction.
0: What about in 50 years' time, if more and more people use coin joins? Would they look less visible?
1: Uh, They are still visible that it is a coin join. It's just 80% of all transactions on the blockchain are coin joins, so who cares, right? That's probably what's going to happen right Um, uh, and uh, so the thing is but yeah doing a blockchain uh, doing a coin join is obviously that you're spending a certain input so if someone knows that this address belongs to you they see where you spend it it's part of the Bitcoin blockchain right and then they see it in the transaction that you're spending it and they see what type of transaction this is how many inputs how many outputs etc a bunch of additional metadata that can be found out and and so the thing is the fact that someone is wanting to do a coin join or that someone did a successful coin join is evident on the bitcoin blockchain right so if we if we would not be uh, you know using this chain surveillance system so to say there uh, you know people register their inputs and outputs and we make a coin join and that goes onto the blockchain and at that point the uh, chain surveillance firm knows hey all of these addresses just went into the into the coin join and all of these output addresses are also related to this coin join, right? So they would add this metadata to their database. How, I wonder
0: how much, um, what the percentages of people making illicit coin joins versus mm-hmm. just your average... Because right now, I, I I mean, I really noticed the bias inside me. Like, mm-hmm. just having this conversation, I'm thinking, why would I do it? You know, mm-hmm. why, why do they want to hide their money? Even though I know that's absolute nonsense. It's a complete nonsense. Yeah. I do have that. I do yep. have that bias. So do you know anything about the data there? Like how many people just make coin joins because they want to be private and how many
1: mm-hmm.
0: are actually
1: hiding something illicit? I mean, <laughs> so I, I don't know the exact percentage point. But okay. So, and that brings us to one of the downsides of this whole thing. That third party uh, surveillance firm that has this list of metadata of, of each coin, they're not omnis- omniscient and they don't no, know no. everything, right? So they have false positives, meaning uh-huh. that actually honest people are identified as criminals. Right? So honest people who didn't steal from anyone are falsely accused of being bad and therefore then falsely removed from our service. So do you that think sucks.
0: do you think labeling something as a coin join has a negative
1: connotation? So the way that these things work is that the provider, that surveillance provider just adds the metadata tag like this is a coin join. Uh, maybe they even say this is a Wasabi coin join specifically, right? Or maybe they even find out this is a Wasabi coin joint coordinated by this company. But they don't uh, know but they,
0: what's coming out. The, well, they know what's coming out the other side. They just
1: don't. They like. cannot link the inputs to outputs, but they know that these inputs and these outputs are part of this coin join transaction. Right. Uh, they just don't know who, which belong to the same user. That, that's the thing that they don't know. Um, and uh, yeah, so the, the the other big problem is there's false negatives, Right, so that the they think that uh, this is a good coin, you know, uh, but in fact, it belongs to some criminal. And obviously, because the world is big, you know, there's like billions of people, there's a bunch of bad people, and there's a bunch of bad people that have money, and there's a bunch of bad people that communicate about how to spend their money. Right, So you can't catch them all. It's, it's literally impossible, right? Even according to which definition of a crime, right? So... The, there will never, ever be a 100% success rate of here are only, you know, o- only honest people who've never, ever stolen. That's, that's going to be very difficult, you know, especially when you, when you have this, this, like, anyone can come coin join uh, style. W- what you can do is invite only coin joins. by the way, right? Like you and your family and your friends, you know, the people that you really trust, you could run a coordinator and sign a Bitcoin transaction together. Right, when you
0: say run a coordinator, does that is that something that in the wallet? Or would I have to do something? Would I have to create a bit of software? Um,
1: you, you have to run software. A piece of software exists, and it's free and open source, meaning you can run it, you can change it, and uh, do whatever you want with it, basically. Uh, another
0: um, thing I just thought of, do you happen to know, according to um, surveillance companies, how long... Along the chain, do you of transactions? Do you d- decide that this is no longer a, <laughs> a, a bad coin or whatever you want to yeah. call it? Like because super difficult. Like, it's a
1: super 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 complex algorithm, and it's uh, there's a hundred percent certainty that it is not correct okay. <laughs> because it's so complex, it cannot possibly be perfectly accurate. Um, um, and exactly how many hops is being followed really depends on, on a lot of factors. Um, six hops, probably a minimum. Ten hops, most likely. Like even 20 hops or something. It, it, it just depends, right? If you make a, a, a chain of transactions with each one input, one output, you make that 10 times, that gets differently anal- analyzed than if you always have like one input, two outputs, for but example. But you
0: could easily run, an out, run a bit of software to, to make a chain mm-hmm. of... 50 really bizarre little transactions. Exactly. The and big I, I, problem is it's expensive.
1: It's super expensive. Right. That's the big problem. It's super expensive and arguably it doesn't do much. You know, because hey, the UTX all set size isn't that big. Doing a couple hops isn't that much. We're dealing with computers here that can do billions of calculations per second. It's not a biggie uh, to find out these things and uh, and to you get some useful information out here. Uh, and and to follow for 20 hops it's absolutely in the realm of possibilities. It's interesting because the, even the mention of
0: chain surveillance, and I, I already feel on on edge. You know, mm. it's like it's it. I'm trying to understand how it fits into the grand scheme of things. So, so you're in a way. Wouldn't you want your service to be completely, um, just like out of your control, not even stopping anything? You know, isn't that the kind of ethos? behind bitcoin shouldn't it be just like look here's here's the software run it there's nothing i can there's nothing mm-hmm. i can do about it because yeah. if you give yourself any control it it, it then you've you've broken
1: the yep. you know the spell exactly you? right and and that's that's why our company is is kind of unique right we, it's a centralized company we provide a centralized service there is one choke point a choke point the coordinator if you plug out that computer our service is down fully. We are in in full control over which inputs and which outputs we are allowed to register. We have zero control about the private key of our users. We cannot spend their money. And we have zero control about how our users choose to talk to our API, if they use Tor or not, out of our control. right? They just choose to use Tor, so we have no power to get their IP address. Or, you know, like using a bunch of different details of, of how people use our software so so that we get little information about it. Right?
0: There are decentralized versions then, are there?
1: No, in fact, none None up and running um, uh, when we're talking about CoinJoin. Uh, we looked into decentralized coordinated CoinJoins and they're a pain in the ass. They're incredibly complex, incredibly slow and, and, and expensive and uh, they're, they're easy to fail, basically. Doing centralized do you, is a lot
0: easier. You need the... Like, if say you went out, say there was only, you could only do coin joins via your mm-hmm. software, right? And you were, I don't know, something happened. You're all in jail. You were put in jail. The website came down, but I had a copy of the software. Mm-hmm. Um, all I have to do is host it somewhere. And then people can come. Yep. I'm the central point where everyone meets and starts mixing
1: their coins up. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So th- that that's the thing, right? The, the the software, both the client and the backend server, is free and open source, so people can and do run it. And and I have no power over the computer of other people and to change the software that they run.
0: If I run it though, do I do I get the payment for the coin joint?
1: If you configure your software to demand a payment, right? You couldn't say, "My, I charge zero fee," and the client would be happy. Right? Yeah. Um, but it's it's your computer, it's your service that you provide, etc. You have to get people to come, obviously. So, so that's the big thing. right? There's
0: no way to
1: to do this in a decentralized way. So there's, okay. What what's a coin join coordination process, and why why does it have to be, or why is it centralized, and why is it difficult to do it decentralized? It's a consensus problem. Right. We have hundreds of people who want to sign a Bitcoin transaction together. The thing is, if one tiny bit, a piece of information of this transaction is different for one of the users, his signature will be different and not valid. So we need to make sure that all of these hundreds of users have exactly bit for bit the same transaction um, that, that they're, they're about to sign. And then if one of these people fails to sign for whatever reason, it's an invalid transaction and we did not have success. So we need a hundred percent consensus and agreement on this is the transaction that we sign and everyone signs it now how do we find how do we get the consensus over which exact piece of data to find that's a super 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 difficult problem if you don't trust anyone else that's the byzantine's generals problem right how can we get a single source of truth if we have malicious uh, people in our group and unreliable connections, so that messages that we send might get lost and never reach people. It's incredibly, incredibly difficult. Satoshi managed a way to find the single source of truth over all of the transactions in the history with the Bitcoin and the proof of work algorithm, etc. Crazy complex solution. Crazy complex solution. Our solution, like, uh, and, and we could do something like this for Coinjoins. Um, uh, Coinjoin uh, now, Coinshuffle and Coinshuffle Plus Plus are decentralized. Coinjoin coordination protocols. We looked into them. Super difficult to do them good and to do them at scale. You know, with, with large number of users, um, doing things centralized is way easier. It just is way easier because that one coordinator says, "This is the input. This is the output. This is the ordering. That's it. Full stop." And if we all agree with uh, with with that coordinator and we just basically follow the the transaction he proposes, of course after validating it, right then we have an easy way of consensus because the consensus is just do whatever the coordinator says as long as you're not losing money.
0: And is there any... So, it, like, because you're a centralized entity, one of the things people say is, well, if you get hacked, then all everything you know belongs to someone else. Mm-hmm. Is there any difference between what a chain analysis company can see and what you can see?
1: Um, That's a good question. Well, we have... I mean, there is interesting metadata that that we get. Like, for example, wh- what was the timing of the actual requests? You know, how, how, like it, like when different users talk to us, what was the time in between those talks? And maybe we could use this information, you know, in, in, in some fancy way. But, but even the client prevents against this, right? Because the client uses randomness in how frequently or like what's the, the delay between each time he talks to the coordinator? That's a random choice. Um, and so that makes all of this additional metadata quite difficult um and i'm sure that if a dedicated uh an analyst would get access to our logs and everything that we knew that he would probably find out something useful that he would not have found out if he didn't have our stuff but still it it shouldn't lead to the de-anonymization of users um on the other hand Hades. Hey, you know that there's this is a very specialized skill, and there's lots of experts with lots of specialized software and huge compute power to run that software because it's also extremely computational expensive uh, to uh, analyze this. yes, analysis. yes. It's, especially like if, if we're talking. What do you know sh-
0: about that? Out of interest, like what, what? What do you? What? What can? What? Tell me something about chain analysis that I probably haven't realized yet. Mm-hmm. Scare me. You know, is it? Is it like? You know, in yeah. the same way that. Um, what, what what those kind of companies or those mm-hmm. services really start getting scary when you look mm-hmm. at them over time and you start yeah. realizing they are literally creating uh, yeah. a digital version of whatever you if mm-hmm. it's if it's your spending patterns, if it's this, mm-hmm. or it's that, you know, I mean, as someone that works in the Bitcoin privacy space, do you are you confident that um, they're going to win? You're going to win who, you know,
1: oh, they have no chance. Uh, no chance. No, no chance. No chance. But but right now they're winning. Like if you're if you're not using CoinJoin, uh, assume that every Bitcoin payment that you've made is tied, or every Bitcoin that you've made in the same wallet, especially that, is tied to one entity. And if you one time revealed one of your, or if you did one of the transactions with this wallet uh, to your publicly related identity, for example, you posted an address on Twitter. Uh, or you use the KYC exchange, um, then all of your and I mean all of the payments that were done in this wallet are not just tied to each other; they're also tied to your as, as, uh, your identity.
0: You're saying that they can tie different addresses in the same wallet together without yeah. knowing the without knowing the without X-Pub. having the
1: Xpub or anything, just by looking at the Bitcoin blockchain. Really? Yeah. It's pretty bad. Really.
0: I thought that was the whole point of of not revealing your xpub. By the way, but let's explain what an xpub is so that so so a bitcoin wallet is a large very large number of addresses which are the long strings of numbers that and that that's, that's where your transactions reside on those different addresses. And an xpub is the one big long number that encrypts all of those into the same wallet.
1: Is that, is that right? Basically whoever knows your Xpub, your extended public key knows all of your public keys and therefore all of your addresses. In one particular in wallet. One wallet. So exactly. when you
0: have a wallet, so the, the sum total of your wallet would be the amount of Bitcoin you have and mm-hmm. of all these different transactions all residing in different, um, hopefully in mm-hmm. different, um, addresses. Yeah and they are these addresses are generated automatically from this one exactly. cryptographic yeah yep and but, but,
1: one of the trick is for every new
0: transaction generate a new address yes right. but so even if you're doing that so mm-hmm. even if you're generating a new address you're saying chain analysis just by looking at the blockchain with their complicated tools could tie all of your addresses together even if you've never it just knows that they're all part of the same wallet.
1: It, it depends a lot on the individual case, Ryan. but uh, and if you're only receiving, you're probably good. If you only receive and you always generate a new address, most well on, on, just by looking at the blockchain, there is nothing that can tie them to each other. So, unless I don't know, you're yeah, simultaneously posting them on Twitter or not using a VPN, etc., like that. Uh, you're good. But as soon as you start spending your coins, hmm. that's when your wallet makes decisions of which coins that you already have to put on the input side. Hmm. And again, right, we assume that every input that you add together, like multiple inputs together, belong to the same person. That's
0: an interesting thing that I didn't know mm-hmm. until I start. I, I now, I mean, for quite a while, I've been using a, a wallet, which I can choose which coins I spend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I didn't realize that for, for a few years. And I was wondering, do you know how wallets decide which coins to mm. spend? Super,
1: super difficult and complex algorithm. And the the reason why it's so difficult is because one of the many reasons why it's so difficult is because you can optimize it for different use cases. You can optimize your coin selection to be as cheap as possible. Oh. You can optimize yeah, it yeah. to be as private as possible. Right? Um, you can optimize it to uh, you know send arbitrary amounts of, of of money, for example. There's many different Ways that you could choose or do coin selection—it's uh, incredibly, incredibly complex, and that's why most software developers just made it easy. You know, they um, like they—they they just did something that worked, but it—it it maybe was more optimized for for cost, for example, right? Or and they completely disregarded privacy. Most wallets right now have coin selection that does not give a flying fuck about privacy. They make zero reasonings about. Which coins should be selected based on how that affects your privacy, um, and it's it's really not easy. And even if you would do a good job at it, just just by the fact that you're alone making a transaction and that your this common input ownership heuristic like works out, if you do that across multiple transactions, you are, you have to be a ninja to to do this type of coin selection in your head correctly.
0: Uh, uh, do you know how much it would cost you to be making? like uh, say as a percentage of your spend it, say you were just making coin joins like using wasabi so not you know d- how much does it cost what what what's a transaction fee mm-hmm. right? as a, is it a percentage of the
1: so there's two no fees, it's not right? a percentage there's, is, it? is it there's so? the fee to the coordinator yeah which we've configured at 0.3 percent of the bitcoin input amount So let's say you got one Bitcoin withdrew from Kraken and you put it into Wasabi and it starts coin joining, then you pay 0.3% of that one Bitcoin. That's what, 300,000 sats or something.
0: Which is currently, what's that, 20... no. Um, oh. Well, I mean, it,
1: it really depends on on the amount of money that you have, right? If if you only have like a couple million sats or so, that's almost nothing.
0: That's what I mean. But if
1: it was a mm. Bitcoin. Yeah. If, it was, if a Bitcoin. it was like 100 Bitcoin, right? Then it's 0.3 Bitcoin the fee. Right? So it, it can get quite expensive if, 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 of course, you have a lot of money. Um, the second thing is, is about the mining fee. And that's super volatile. Like that's so difficult to say. So it depends on how much privacy do you want. You can do one coin join round. You can do 10 coin join rounds. Um, and it depends on what's the current fee rate um, available, or like at 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 the current marketplace, right? Sometimes you get away with we we pay less than two sats per v for for fee rate. Sometimes and, it has to be twenty, right? So ten times more.
0: Is there a cut? Is there an additional on top of that that you take a cut, or is that just a fee? The, no, the point oh three is your fee. Right? Yes,
1: it's it's our fee, and it's a one-time fee. So if if we you only pay basically for the first coin join, so to say and if you then do 10 coin joins afterwards with that same money you don't pay coordinator fee anymore right? you pay mining fee but not okay. coordinator fee so the coordinator fee is only for what we call fresh bitcoin I so wonder, coins that were not in a coin so joint i before. wonder
0: what the f- it, this is like i'm trying to work out what
1: the fee for privacy would be if you were a yeah it's like a it's less like- less than 0.5% especially right now it's it's super cheap and that's like including everything so probably right now considering how cheap it is it's like guess yeah, so your point 4% something like this, including our coordinator fee. right?
0: So if you were someone that wanted to be as privacy conscious as possible, you'd be paying about half a percent to be privacy
1: conscious, say, yes. say. okay. Yes, uh, and, and of course, right, a lot of that cost is the same as if you were just using Bitcoin without any privacy cost. Hmm. St- using Bitcoin, even when you're full tra- fully transparent, is still expensive, Yeah. Right? yeah. So we, we, have, we do have an additional cost, uh, but the alternative is not zero. Hmm.
0: How much do you know about the Lightning Network? <laughs> oh, I love it. I <laughs> okay. Love right. The Lightning. No, I, I mean uh, technically because I'm on a, I'm a I'm on an absolute learning streak at the moment. I hope you've nice. got time. Sure. Uh, well, because obviously h- here's my interpretation of this. The Lightning Network ha- has relatively strong privacy um, implications. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Because obviously as far as the, the on-chain transactions that you get with a Lightning Network, there's only two. One when you go on and one when you come off. Mm-hmm. And everything that happens in between, how easy... I mean, maybe we should explain what even the Lightning... Give, yeah. it, give us a quick explanation of what the Lightning tra- mm-hmm. Network is first, because I, just in case anyone yeah. doesn't know what we're talking about.
1: So the, the Bitcoin blockchain works in a way that everyone has to verify every transaction of everyone else. Since the beginning January 3rd, 2009, every single transaction that ever happened, every user of the Bitcoin blockchain has to fully validate that forever and ever and ever, and it will just keep growing. Right? So that's inefficient. That's not scalable. It was the number one criticism and feedback right after the white paper got published. This doesn't scale at all. Right? What's the Lightning Network? The Lightning Network is to make payments with Bitcoin, as, as money, that do not have to be verified and enforced by everyone, All right? So we're making payments where the the actual transactions that we're making is, is not part of the global consensus. Not everyone has to agree on them. In fact, just two people have to agree with it. And especially the people who, who are part of this payment channel. So a payment channel is what the Lightning Network is made up of. Uh, a payment channel is on the Bitcoin blockchain, an address that has a bunch of Bitcoin on there. Uh, and this address can be spent by two people, if they agree and if they agree they can make payments really really quickly back and forth uh, because they don't have to wait until everyone else on the network sees the transaction but as soon as these two people agree of we'll spend the money here then it's done so we're talking about the cost of making a signature and and like one or two round trips so it's millions or thousands of transactions per second um that these two people can do
0: Uh, with no fee
1: with, with zero fee, exactly. So as you say, right, there's a cost for opening a channel. Uh, so for putting money on the table between these two people. And then there is a cost for, for closing the channel. So after they've made all of these payments back and forth to take the money off the table and s- send it to somewhere completely else. And just to even
0: try and simplify a bit more, um, this is this is kind of how the current monetary system kind of works as well it's like you have the base layer of some the base layer of the money which is the bitcoin blockchain um but the problem with that layer is transactions confirm only roughly every 10 minutes so there's no good for making instant payments and i I mean one of the ways i think about it and this you'd correct me if i'm wrong is you take some bitcoin from the base layer and you kind of stake it on another layer and it sits there until you return it back to the base layer. Um, and that's the only two transactions that occur on the Bitcoin blockchain. While it's staked on this new layer, it creates a a, a liquidity pool that you can send around really quickly. Is that is that
1: a fair way to describe it? I, it's a useful analogy, for sure. Um, just one thing I'd like to highlight is that even the second layer thing is just... Bitcoin blocked or Bitcoin transactions like any other Bitcoin transaction, but they're so they're valid Bitcoin transactions that have not yet been broadcast to the Bitcoin blockchain. So in Lightning Network, you're kind of preparing and pre-signing transactions that could be going to the blockchain, but you're kind of holding off with putting them onto the blockchain just yet because maybe you won't want to make a future transaction. Right. right. So we just we keep on kind of updating how we're spending this coin on the blockchain, but for each update, we don't send the up each update transaction to the Bitcoin network or to the Bitcoin blockchain. We just keep it between the two parties of the channel.
0: And that way, um, there can be no creation of Bitcoin. Exactly. The only Bitcoin that exists on the Lightning Network has to exist on the base chain, and it's just frozen there, yep. a pending transaction that's a good way i've never thought of it like that That is a Mm. good way of thinking about it yeah so all right and how private is the lightning network so when those that bitcoin gets staked or or when that bitcoin resides in its on the lightning network um a chain analysis company all they know is there's a pending is it does it look like a pending transaction or what does it look like It, it
1: Oh, it's a multi-sig
0: actually. Isn't they it?
1: see yeah, on the yeah, blockchain yeah. a coin, one Bitcoin on it, uh in in a pay to script hash or pay to witness script hash address type. So they know it's not a single public key uh that's that's holding on to, to this money, but it's something else. Okay. They don't know exactly what the script is. They will find out later when this coin gets spent. Which could be like in two years' time. Exactly.
0: Right. Yeah. So so how much do they know about what happens? Mm-hmm. On the Lightning Network to yep. that Bitcoin in the meantime, when you're mm-hmm. buying coffees, sending it to your friends,
1: da 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 privacy of Lightning is quite multifaceted, um, and it inherits all the privacy downsides of the Bitcoin blockchain. All right, So we just said that if you don't do CoinJoin, you can link inputs to inputs and inputs to outputs of the same user, basically trivially. So that's what chain surveillance companies can still do they will basically know very easily just by looking onto the blockchain data of like, hey, these are all the coins that belong to the same lightning node, B- roughly saying um, that these are all the channels that belong to the same node. Hold a minute. There's no block explorer for the lightning node. No, but they're just looking at on-chain uh, data right now. right? They're, they're just saying, hey, here are all here are all of these pay-to-witness cryptash coins. And if we look at the transaction graph of when they were created and when they were spent, we can see that here is a chain of multiple transactions where it seems like one guy deposited 10 bitcoin into his lightning node then he opened the first channel 10 bitcoin input and and like 9 uh, 1 bitcoin channel 9 bitcoin change oh. then he spent the 9 bitcoin change output and opened another channel worth 2 bitcoin uh, and he right, had 7 bitcoin right, right, change right. i forgot
0: that so and when you open a channel you make a payment you make an mm-hmm. on-chain exactly. transaction and this is as private as the default on-chain so transaction would is would best practice to be
1: to just create I don't know one
0: channel
1: exactly if you create one channel right so let's say you deposit one bitcoin into your lightning wallet and then you open a channel of exactly one bitcoin so you don't get a change output so your channel opening transaction has one input and one output right and and so future there's there's no future transaction to be opened, right so that's one benefit that you could do uh gets really expensive if you consider the whole thing of, of how much block space you need to use in order to prepare it that you never get a change output in when opening a channel. It's, it's not cheap, block space wise. Uh, of course, the other alternative, as we already discussed, is coin joins. Right? You could open a channel, later make a coin join transaction, then open a channel, make a coin join transaction, etc. Or even better, also more complex, you can open a Lightning channel inside a coin join transaction. So the actual Lightning channel is a two of two multi signature on the output side of a coin join. With hundreds and hundreds of other inputs and outputs,
0: I, I can't get my head around that. I don't understand. I, I I've, I'm not even sure I understand how where the on-chain part of a transaction occurs when I'm opening a Lightning channel. Mm-hmm. Because I thought, like so 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 I I, I want to send a Bitcoin to the Lightning, and I want to create ten channels of point one of a Bitcoin. They all have on-chain transactions to create the channel. Yep. Where's the, um, where are where, where the mining
1: fees coming from when I make that, when I make those channels? You, you, a channel is only then opened when the transaction that created it is confirmed on the Bitcoin blockchain. So, and in order for this well, transaction.
0: So 10.1
1: transactions, um, 10 times 0.1 transactions. Yeah, so you, you would open 10 channels in this example, yes, right, yeah, I think? Yeah. So for each of these channels, each of these 10 different transactions has to come onto the blockchain. Let's yeah. say the first transaction is confirmed. You had to pay two sats per V-byte uh, to get the transaction confirmed. Now the first channel is open. Yeah. Um. And then later the second channel, where in the transaction you paid you know, 10 sats per V-byte and, or whatever.
0: And this chain analysis comp- company can tie that up with your original one yep. Bitcoin,
1: 100%. Nothing you can... Uh, Oh, unless, unless. 100% certainty is always tricky in blockchain analysis, but like 95%, 99% confidence, something like that. All right. Yeah. So, all right, your your channels are open. Mm-hmm.
0: How much do they know about what you're sending backwards and forwards mm-hmm. in those channels?
1: Yes, then there is the question of whom do you send the payment to? Because let's say you and me have a channel open, and uh, let's say I put one Bitcoin onto my side of the channel to start with, and now I send you 0.1 Bitcoin or something. The only one that know about this transaction is you and me. Uh, there is no blockchain trace yet. Um, we didn't talk to any other computers. It was just my computer talking to yours, and so nobody else Unless actually knows about it. Unless you're
0: using this. a custodial Lightning wallet, maybe. Well, yeah. But if, you, if you're it, using Wallet of Satoshi, they have some data.
1: Then you have zero Bitcoin at all, right? It's a custodial money warehouse, right. and the bank uses the Lightning network. Right. Okay. Uh, and so that's the difference. You don't use the Lightning network personally, in in Wallet of Satoshi or any of the others, right? But
0: in that case, is there some privacy? Sure. That's quite good privacy, isn't it? If I put a Bitcoin on Wallet of Satoshi and spent, it's just some database
1: spending it. Yep. The the bank knows everything about you. They know that one user has one Bitcoin in here, and these are all the transactions that he made. So you have no privacy against the bank, but against an outside observer blockchain-wise? Yeah, it's pretty good, actually. Hmm. Of course, like, that's what these custodial mixers are, by the way. So a mixer is very different from a CoinJoin. Uh, a mixer is when... Are we talking on the base chain here? That's base chain, exactly. Hmm. And that's just where multiple users send money to a company. So the company has the oh, yeah. private keys. The users no longer have the private keys. Right, but now the company is kind of collecting money from hundreds of users and later sending out the money back to the users. But because there were hundreds of users involved in here, it's no longer easy to, again, link that this user deposited into the bank here and withdrew from the bank here. Those deposit and withdrawal transactions become difficult to link. But of but course, not just can the bank spy on you and right, they know exactly right. when you went in and when you went out, they can also run away with all of your money. Right. And so that's that's a really risky service then.
0: Okay, so... so okay,
1: so, uh, yeah. Um, uh, in, in a, uh,
0: loosely speaking, I'm trying to work out how prov- how private the, mm-hmm. the Lightning Network is. Yes. If, if it's just...
1: Someone using it. So, you know, like so yeah, if you make a payment to your direct channel partner, it's for all intents and purposes anonymous. Nobody else knows that you're making this payment, right? People know that you've opened a channel to that person. People know when you closed the channel with that person, but they have no idea about how many transactions did you make in between. Yeah. Right. And did you send a million times back and forth mm-hmm. once sat or was it, you know, less frequent? Nobody knows. Um uh, but of course, you don't just want to make payments to the people whom you've already made an on-chain transaction with to open the channel. Mm. Otherwise, you would just be making on-chain transactions, basically, again, to everyone. So the, the key inside of the Lightning Network is not just to open these payment channels, that's an older concept, but specifically to open them in such a way that you can make a payment through someone else's payment channel. Right? So let's say we two have, have a channel open, but I don't want to pay you, I want to pay Peter. And and you might have a, a channel open to, let's say, Titus, uh, and Titus has a channel open to Peter. right? And now I can pay Peter under the condition, uh, like by giving you money, but under the condition you only get the money if you forward it to Titus, and you set up with Titus that he only gets the money if he forwards it to Peter. Mm-hmm. Right? And then Peter is the one who actually should get the money. And Peter and I are, are talking, and we're, we're negotiating this whole thing, and then... Peter gets from Titus the response of, hey, here's money. Um, Do you want it? Titus says yes. Uh, Sorry, um, uh, Peter says yes. Which means uh, Titus pays uh, to uh, Peter. You pay to Mm -hmm. Titus and I pay to you. And And all of this happens atomically.
0: Yeah, and that's why in the old days, a lot of times transactions would fail because they couldn't find a route. Yeah to the person that they wanted it to and, and not only that but the route has to be has to have the same liquidity yep. the whole way that and that exactly. was that was the problem but i i really it's not much of a problem now i mean i i sent 300 quid's worth of lightning bitcoin to my daughter the other day and it just went straight through mm-hmm. no no problem you know so yeah. and that was uh, on wallet to satoshi that was, and it was like mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: mind you well, but if, if she has Wallet of no, Satoshi... No, she didn't too. have Wallet of uh-huh. Satoshi. No, mm-hmm.
0: it went to Blue Wallet.
1: Mm-hmm. Which well, is it's another custodian. I know, thing, but right? it
0: still had to go over the Lightning Network, didn't it?
1: Well, uh, but most likely... So these two banks, quote-unquote Blue Wallet and Wallet of Satoshi, these money warehouses, most likely have a direct channel with each other because there's a bunch of users of in between course, them yeah, that send yeah. back and forth. There so it it was sense no fee.
0: For, uh, actually, it's interesting. I only just discovered the other day, a few days ago, that Blue Wallet's Lightning Wallet was custodial. Yeah. I didn't I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Because I I've been giving my kids um pocket money in bitcoin for years. Mm-hmm. And I I set them up cuz they you know it's it's a really visual UX blue yeah. wallet. It's really yeah. good for kids. They can it's like a bank you can see <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, now, now I'm I'm going to switch their it's their savings really. Yeah. I'm going to switch it to um to on-chain in blue mm-hmm. wallet because I I didn't know that. Yeah. I've been—it's been three or four years, and I, yeah, exactly. I didn't realize. Mm-hmm.
1: It's quite scary, right? The the differentiation between the actual base money and and the money warehouses isn't as clear cut in Bitcoin, from the user facing side. And most people just don't know what it actually means. They don't know that they have a custodial wallet, and they don't know what it means hmm. until people run away with your money, and you're like, oh shit. What, what do you mean? All my Bitcoin is or, gone. Or
0: when they're in El Salvador, <laughs> they realize that Wallet Satoshi works every single time, yeah. and a lot of the other ones don't. Sure. And and it's it, 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 here is my take, and I'm I'm probably being a bad Bitcoiner here, but I don't mind keeping a few hundred quid on Wallet Satoshi, mm-hmm. and I d- I'm prepared to lose that 200, yeah. uh, 200 bucks, or whatever,
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, because it's so bloody good yeah. at what yeah. it does. Sure. Yeah. And this is also nothing new. And I think it's, it's also nothing bad. Um, gold, for example, great money, right? Lovely, you can self-custody it. It's awesome. It's just also heavy. And if you want to guard it, mm-hmm. you need a, a metal box and a guy with a gun standing in front of it. And then you need to move that. So you need like six horses to pull the thing. You know, also it's, it's expensive to move gold. It's costly to move gold. That's known as demurrage cost. The cost of holding and spending the money, moving it physically. In, in, in the world of gold, quite expensive. High demurrage cost. So what do you do? You move your money into a money warehouse, you move your gold coin once very heavily, lots of guards, lots of guns, etc. You move them into the vault, there it doesn't move anymore, and you get a a paper certificate saying that whoever has this paper gets access to the gold. Mm -hmm. And now you can move away, like you have a tiny piece of paper worth, I don't know, 10 kilos of gold, and you can easily pass it back and forth. The demurrage cost of spending that money substitute, that money certificate, that piece of paper, the cost of spending that way cheaper. Do you think
0: there's a time in the future where, not, where non-custodial lightning is
1: very simple? Because sure, it will, be, it will be very simple. It will still be costly, I think. That's the kicker. I think Bitcoin blockchain transactions will be insanely expensive. Utterly, insanely expensive. Well, they would
0: have to be, especially in the distant future, yeah. because the miners going to need paying with something, aren't they? Yeah.
1: And it's just, this is a, a global consensus system for the planet. Now we have 8 billion people, hopefully soon a bunch more. There's not much block space because we need to verify every transaction that everyone ever makes 8 billion times.
0: Does that mean there'll be another layer on top of um, lightning then or whatever? There like, will
1: be custodians. Yeah, The the demurrage cost of spending Bitcoin on the blockchain is going to be utterly expensive. So many people will be priced out of it, meaning they will prefer to not make blockchain transactions. So they will go into something like Lightning, which reduces the amount of blockchain transactions that you need to make. You're still making them. Mm. And then basically the next step is to go into a money warehouse. Now that can be a single centralized money warehouse like Blue Wallet or Wallet of Satoshi, etc. Or that could be a federation. Right. Fediman, for example, or, or Liquid, the sidechain, is, is, in my opinion, a money warehouse that's federated. And right. so you put your Bitcoin, your base layer money, not just to one company, but to like five out of seven companies. And you get a paper receipt that's signed by five out of seven of these companies. And now you can move it whenever five out of these seven um, collaborate. So one bank alone cannot steal your money. It has to be five banks together uh, that collaborate in order to spend that money again. So Bitcoin will enable that, federated money warehouses. But it because of the high demurrage cost of Bitcoin and Lightning, using Lightning is going to be expensive too. Now now we can say it's fast and cheap and free, just like we said at the beginning of, of the Bitcoin blockchain days, it's fast and, f- mm. and free and completely gratis and fully anonymous. Mm. Turns out it's not. Mm. Same with the Lightning. Network.
0: Doesn't, <laughs> I mean, the way the paint, picture you paint there in the future is... Um doesn't don't, don't we run the risk of having all the same problems of the current system or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, paper Bitcoin everywhere because yeah. no one can afford to spend real Bitcoin. Because yep. one of the things I've always thought is what I like about Bitcoin is that at the end of the day, I can spurn paper Bitcoin because I, I can just demand real Bitcoin because mm-hmm. I can work it out myself. Yep. But what if I can't afford the transaction? Exactly, thing? exactly. It's so great that, that you can. <laughs> it's
1: great that you can demand, you know, to get your gold coins out of the bank. But where are you going to put it? Are you going to hire a guy with a gun and a big metal box to store it? Well, so come on then. What's that? What does that mean?
0: Is this a is <laughs> it this means reality?
1: Is difficult? <laughs> is it a problem? No, now? sure. It's a huge problem. Having a good money is really, 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 really difficult. Right? Like it's it's. Anything but easy, and gold did a damn good job at it, and it was still not good enough. And now, I, I obviously Bitcoin is way better than gold, right? Well, on on numerous layers, um, it's still not perfect. Um, and the thing, the the cool thing is, the really th- the thing that gives me a lot of hope is that now money is software, and it's an engineering problem, and we can get some smart engineers to come up with with nice protocols and and ways of using this secure monetary system, much faster, much cheaper, much more private. That's what the Lightning Network is, right? It's a way of using the Bitcoin blockchain, super smart, Uh, way smarter than just making one input, two output transactions. To be honest, in like a hundred years, if we look back at how we used the early Bitcoin block space, our grandchildren will will be crying and turning in their grave of how how much we misused this, this tool. Because at the beginning we had no idea what the fuck we just discovered and, and how to properly use it. And, and our, we're still
0: doing it now, you mean? Still yeah, being, we have no idea, man. Come on then. No idea. Like entertain my mind. Where's this going? What, what's this all about? You know, what, what, what are we, how are we misusing it now? It seems pretty, you know, I'm stuck at peer-to-peer, you know, inflation-resistant savings mm-hmm. and peer-to-peer transactions there. Yeah. What, what else?
1: Well, I mean, so in, in like the, the grand scheme of things, like going onto the Bitcoin blockchain is a, is a monumental event. Like it's something that you prepare. It's something that you take a lot of care for. You don't just randomly make a couple blockchain transactions. In, in, in the long run future, I'm saying. This is something that like a team of people or like a, a very sophisticated software system will figure out of how to optimize how and when uh, you're going to buy block space. Um, Wait a minute, and
0: what, Because it's so expensive?
1: Because it's so expensive and it's so difficult. And by the way, we're so running difficult. into this with Wasabi now.
0: What Why would you mean? Why so difficult? Why would it be difficult to make a Bitcoin transaction? Uh,
1: oh, if only you knew. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm trying
1: it. I really want to yes.
0: understand. This is.
1: A- <laughs> no, this is um, this is something we're stumbling at uh, with Wasabi right now. Like, so we want we want to have it easy, right? It should be easy to use Bitcoin on the blockchain. Um, which means it has to be automated. Like manual coin selection. Is not going to go anywhere. This is a stupid idea. Let the robot do the complicated math. Seriously, you're talking <laughs>
0: about inputs there.
1: Um, okay. Yes, to select which inputs you're going to spend. So, okay. But are you the, are you doing it in terms of privacy here, or just how can yes, you, yeah yeah? Okay. Uh, well, it gets even more difficult when you consider privacy on top of this. Um, but so but so basically, what a software wallet does is it receives a user intent. The user says, "Hey, I want to pay this address this amount of Bitcoin." Okay. And now the wallet tries to satisfy that request of the user. Right? And it checks things like, do you have enough money? Right? If you don't have enough money, it's like, sorry, can't do. Right? If you have enough money, then the question is, which coins do you register? Right? In order to make a good decision on which coins do you register, you need to have metadata about those coins. Because you, one coin you have withdrawn from Kraken, the other coin your wife gave you, and the third coin is from whoever. Right. So now if you want to make a payment that your wife doesn't know about, don't use the coin from your wife, hmm. right? for example. So which coin you register is a big question, and that depends on metadata. Uh, on, on, it also depends on like, how old is that coin? You know, if it's a coin from 2009, maybe it's not the best to spend it now directly you know, on a merchant because then the pizza merchant knows that you're a Bitcoin holder from 2009 and you probably have a couple hundred thousand si- uh, Bitcoin right. lying around, you know? Okay. So like, um, which coin to select and how many coins to select? Do you want to select one big coin on the input side worth fifty bitcoin? If you make a one bitcoin payment, or do you prefer to use three times zero point four bitcoin uh, on the input side? You know, the, one, at one case you reveal that you that you own fifty bitcoin. On the other case, you reveal that these three different coins mm-hmm. belong to the same person. Yeah. Right? that's just some of the complexity then even if we get into joins, it gets even more complex because now you have some private coins and some non-private coins so private coins are coin join outputs basically Mm -hmm. there's then the question of how much privacy did you get in this coin join Mm -hmm. you know if, if you withdrew from kraken and you made a coin join what's the likelihood that now it's still obvious that this output belongs to this input that came from kraken so maybe you have little privacy maybe you have a lot of privacy How do we give that? How do we quantify that so that the software can make decision on dealing private and non-private coins differently? And and so then we need to figure out how how to quantify the privacy of coins. Then we need to know now should you select private coins or non-private coins? And and again, considering all the amounts, age, etc., then we go to the output side. So which payments do you want to make? If you want to make a payment that should be private, then we need to consider. The input selection again. Did we select only private inputs? If, if no, then you shouldn't make this payment yet because it's not a private payment yet because the inputs are not yet private. Right, so then you, you need to say, okay, let's, let's make only a self-spend in this first round. So we're not making the payment yet. We're just sending it to ourselves to gain more privacy before we can make the payment. But then is how many outputs do you get? <laughs> What's the value of those outputs that you get? Right? And and how sure can you be that other people will use the same denominations as you so that the size of the crowd gets larger, etc. Right? And then, okay, so we've done the first round. Now let's do the second round of coin join. How long should we wait in between these rounds of coin joins? Which of those coins that I got in the previous coin join should I select in the future, etc.? Right? And then on the output side of that, okay, it's stupid to just send it to yourself. So you want to make some payments to the merchant directly, but you also maybe want to open a lightning channel Right? Because keeping everything on chain is stupid. You want to be able to make off-chain payments as well. So now we need to coordinate. With whom do you want to open the channel with? How much money? You know, is he online at the same time? Does he understand what a coinjoin is? Like, and I could keep going for, for another hour the, about the complexity of this entire thing. But I'm I'm seriously that what we're trying to achieve with Wasabi right now to have a privacy by default software wallet is I think as difficult as building a self-driving car. Not just that drives you to where you want without getting into an accident, but even that the car figures out where you want to go without you needing to tell the car, right? Because we want to make it all easy and automated by default. Isn't so it's there, bloody difficult. Isn't
0: there an inherent danger in that? That in a way, by knowing, by having a bit of software that knows all this to make, it needs to know a bunch of stuff about you to, yeah. in order to make the decision. Mm-hmm. So... You're basically creating a, an attack vector right there because you're, you're yeah. creating a, um, yeah. We, <laughs> we have to assume <laughs>
1: that that your computer is secure and that your computer isn't hacked, etc.
0: But what okay. I mean is, like in order to know how to anonymize someone, mm-hmm. you kind of have to de-anonymize them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, otherwise, otherwise, you know, you're...
1: The, the question is, who does the computation, right? So this is, a, as I just laid out, incredibly complex problem. So who's, sol- who's trying to solve it? If it's a third-party computer that solves it, well, then you have to tell that computer, these are my coins, this is all the metadata, this is here's where I got them, you know, these are all the coin joints that I made, this is the privacy level that I gained, etc. And then that third-party computer does the verification and analysis and optimizations and sends it back to you. But then, of course, he knows everything about you. So the goal is not just to figure this out, but to figure this out in a efficient enough way so that you can run it on your laptop, on your phone, right? that only your computer is involved with this, that no other computer is, is being relied upon with the security and, and the privacy of your information, right? which which turns this into even more of a clusterfuck. <laughs> it's so, so difficult. When you said earlier that you think in the long-distant future
0: making an on-chain transaction will be this big ceremonial sort of explain why who's making this transaction and why are they why are they being so specific about what they're doing mm-hmm.
1: so i mean in the yeah. okay let's go crazy bitcoin future right so it doesn't make sense to lock up a bitcoin coin just with one private key most likely, you're gonna have like a multi-signature where it's like seven out of ten private keys have to sign it. Are we talking about Bitcoin being worth like a hundred million dollars or something? Yeah. It's, a, it's a valuable Basically, thing. Yeah, it's, an, it's a mega valuable thing. You know, like it already is, right? So you better protect it well. And, and so multi-signatures—you're so gonna do protections on Bitcoin script layer, right? You're gonna have multi-signatures, time logs, hash pre-images, maybe some pre-signed transaction. There's gonna be a lot of information and a lot of coordination that is going to be needed just to produce a valid signature of of that coin or a valid script uh, to that coin do you know what's funny i just thought currently people are just keeping them on exchanges yeah,
0: it? and, yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's like, ridiculous <laughs> sorry about it but it just occurred to me that you know like if this is true i see what you mean now about people looking back yeah and going what
1: did you you re- you know what the
0: fuck people
1: <laughs> how, how would you ever thought that this is a good idea <laughs> like, you know what do you what do you mean you made a transaction by yourself yeah just, just the fact that you own an entire utxo is gonna be crazy what do you mean you're the only one that has access to this one utxo on what do you mean you have access to an on-chain utxo let it like alone just by yourself, that's crazy. Wow. Like in the long-term future, a single UTXO on the Bitcoin blockchain is going to be controlled by thousands of people, in like Lightning Channel factories, etc. Like the fact that what you own the on-chain coin Lightning
0: is, Channel factories. What are you talking about? It's
1: like? basically a, a Lightning Channel, but not just with two people, but with hundreds of people or thousands of people, and so.
0: And what's the point of it, just to create liquidity? You know?
1: So it's like well, to be more block space efficient. Because all of a sudden, efficient. instead of yeah. thousand people needing a thousand outputs on the, uh, to open a thousand channels, now a thousand people get one output, and they can still open individual channels on top of that. Uh, it's kind of so, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm te- and like all of this is the if you look into Lightning, for example, or just CoinJoin already, and and Lightning channel factories, we're just layering and layering complexity on the coordination of generating a new Bitcoin address and spending that, and that's. It, it will get more complex and complex and complex, and we will prepare a lot more for these types of events to get the most bang for our buck when we, when we go on trade.
0: And that's purely because the value of a Bitcoin, mm-hmm. the purchasing power, will be so large. Yeah, It's as simple as that.
1: Yeah. The, the fact that you own a UTXO that has sets in them is going to be incre- incredibly valuable, and the fact that you're wealthy enough to move it is... Also going to be a, a something special.
0: So so, in in this distant future, say there's fifteen billion people on the planet, how are most of them transacting in Bitcoin in a hyper
1: Bitcoinized world? That's a, it's super difficult to answer. I think most likely it's going to be a custodial relationship, um, with kind of second layer ways to get out of that custodial relationship. So you can withdraw from your bank via a Lightning payment, for example. You don't have to go on-chain to withdraw from your bank.
0: And, so, and cu- most people are going to be using custodial. Most people are going to be fine. There's going to be so. the odd rug pull, but it's, yeah. yeah.
1: People who, who really want to have the, the full extent of, of self-sovereignty and, and security that Bitcoin can, can enable you yeah, yeah. will have to do so at a monetary premium. Okay,
0: but why then would uh, people say that the reason that hyper Bitcoinization will happen is because people will choose the hardest money mm-hmm. but they're not choosing the
1: hardest money there are they um they're choosing a a sensible money substitute that represents the hard money right you 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 have paper bitcoin so to say right yeah but
0: who why why would hyper bitcoinization happen like at the moment it's us lot... Who like the fact that we can mm-hmm. own our own money. What happens if it just doesn't go beyond that? Like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I mean, it looks like there's a lot of people, like a lot of people know about Bitcoin now, don't they? Mm-hmm. I, wouldn't, I don't know what it percentage, certainly in the Western world, a lot of people yeah. know about it. Sure. But, but still, most people aren't bothering to get involved in it.
1: And even if they get involved, they get to custodians.
0: Right. right. So why would hyper happen?
1: Who's driving it? Uh, merchants will refuse to work with you if you insult them by throwing a shitcoin into their face. And
0: that's purely because of inflation or… Yeah. No, okay.
1: Not that, it's not purely about inflation, right? It's it's inflation and, and theft. Those are like the two things, right? Um, people get their money inflated and people get their bank accounts seized. Uh, and pe- people will get their Bitcoin bank accounts seized as well. Right. Uh-huh. That that has happened in the past, will continue to happen in the future. But you have an option. You have an option to leave, Exactly.
0: And what about if your only option is real Bitcoin, but you can't
1: afford to make a transaction? <laughs> yeah, that's reality, man. That sucks. It really sucks. And and then we, ha- as entrepreneurs, we have to provide services that are cheaper. We have to make these these tools available at a, a more affordable price range.
0: There'll be people that will offer you the service of spending your Bitcoin yeah. for you, won't they? Yeah,
1: exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, because they right. have them. Wow. And, and by the way, this is. All of this is, is at the baseline of, of our company, right? Of, of CK Snacks that does this Wasabi thing. Our, our, chief, uh, our chief goal is to reduce the amount of block space that you have to consume. We're saving you a shit ton of money on block space. Like you could, if, if you would do these things in any other way, it would be a hundred times more expensive, right? And, and for that additional savings that we bring you, for the efficiency of block space that, that we enable you, You know, for that we charge a small fee, but the small fee that we charge is way smaller than the amount of money that you saved um, by by, uh, compared to not using us.
0: Gosh, holy! I've never thought any of these concepts through to anywhere near completion. I mean, (laughs) me neither. By the way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, go a bit further then. So, so you know, uh, uh, I I painted a, a a doomy picture, right?
1: It's not. But- <laughs> I, I think it's
0: quite funny. I mean, it, it, the free market never gives. It, it gives you what 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 the consensus wants. It never gives you what you want personally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and the free markets. We I, we've all agreed. Well, we haven't. Most you and me have agreed. The free market is the best thing we can do. Mm-hmm. And Bitcoin is a free market. There's a free market there, you know. So whatever transpires, I'm going to just love it. I'm going to accept it because it's Mm -hmm. what everyone who's joining into this thing wants. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And like you say, companies will spring up to deal with the so-called problems that are arising and create all kinds of weird things. But Mm -hmm.
1: um, Yeah, and I'm I'm mega bullish on on humanity's creativity. Like stuff like payment channels, lightning network, you know, that's... Like, wow, absolutely crazy. So again, we had no idea that stuff like this was possible at the beginning of Bitcoin. And well, at least with me, the, the longer I'm in Bitcoin, the more creative and like inspired I get by this and, and the more I change as, as people. And I'm thinking, hey, if we're to like the second or third generation of people who just grew up on, on Bitcoin, like what type of ideas will they have? What, what type of creative improvements can they come up with? So I'm, I know the, the constraints of the reality of, of Bitcoin as a system, and it's important to know to know the constraints but we can get a lot better at at, at playing our, our games within these constraints right like lightning network was was just getting smarter about about using it coin joins the same right or transaction batching these are things that when we actually want to solve it and put our mind to it i'm sure we can make incredible leaps uh, of progress forward um and it it might be something like you know the like the internet like it's been failing to scale since the very beginning people said it's not scalable this this won't work and yeah the first version of the internet when it was announced in its protocol in its in its in the companies that were around it etc it didn't scale right but with with and users just kept coming in because it's such an incredibly useful tool obviously everyone wants to use the internet Ob- just like it's as obvious that everyone will be using bitcoin the question is just how, right? And you're not your own ISP provider. And right? you could be. I know people who have their own ISP service just because they can, but that's not how the average person is is interacting with with the protocol ultimately.
0: What I'm thinking though is um when you look at why people like us want to use bitcoin, uncensorable, you know, self-custody, all these kind of things. If that's not what the general public is gonna get from their Bitcoin, why would you get hyper bitcoinization? Like why would it happen? Because it's it's definitely driven by adoption. It's driven by people accepting it. I'll give an example. Mm-hmm. Like when I go to El Salvador, it's easier to pay with Bitcoin than it is to do something else. Yeah. Right. So there's a good reason. Okay, I'm gonna use Bitcoin. But most of the other times I use Bitcoin is because I really believe in it. <laughs> you know what I mean. And and so, but but I'm probably going to be getting the the things out of it that I want. I mm-hmm. want to be able to have unconfiscatable money. Yeah. My mum doesn't. Mm-hmm. My mum's mm-hmm. happy to have mm-hmm. her money in the bank. Yeah. So why would it scale? Uh, sorry. Mm-hmm. Why why would it? Why would why would we reach hyper-Bitcoinization?
1: Well, you know, already now Bitcoin is better, easier to use than a bank account. You um, know, without all its monetary inflation resistance, etc., it's it's just a better user experience already now, right? Like with the Lightning Network, you can send like fractions of a penny a million times a second back and forth, like that just wasn't possible with with fiat.
0: There is the problem of volatility,
1: though,
0: and theoretically yeah. it'll sort itself out. But currently, it's yeah. a bit of a kind of
1: it's a That's, funny situation to mm-hmm. be in.
0: You mm-hmm. people don't want to adopt it. Because they, because of the volatility, but the volatility is an inherent part of adoption. So. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. And yeah, volatility. Well, you know, the thing is, money is a network effect, and there is a strong winner-take-all um, scenario, right? Where and that's there's multiple reasons for it. One is, of course, because the the money is that with which everyone every merchant wants to get paid in, and so you just have that money and you get whatever you want on the market. That's that's already that's good and and then a result of that is that every merchant denominates their prices in that money right which is kind of the next step and that makes calculation a lot easier right to um to have multiple different currencies on your balance sheet and on your cash flow and to try to do financial planning and like future predictions is utterly complex and having one currency is way 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 easier and cheaper so there is definitely the incentive for for merchants to consolidate their balance sheet at the end of the day to a single currency, um, and I I think that the the cost of having multiple currencies, especially when these other currencies are are shit and hyperinflating, will get ever and ever more apparent uh, to people.
0: What about um, <clears throat> oh Jesus, I've just completely forgotten. I'm thinking about six thousand things at one time at the moment. <laughs> I had Welcome a really, to the Bitcoin rabbit hole. I had a really good question just then. Um, what? Oh my, multiple currencies. What was it? Oh my god, I can't remember. I've lost. I've completely lost my chain of thought. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm darting around too much, trying to grasp. I, I, like I say, there's been a few new concepts here for mm. me, and as a result, they're not fully integrated yet. Mm. So, and I, I keep want to build. I keep want to build on top of mm. them. Um, and I can't really get there. Oh, I know. Well, this is something completely different. Uh, just, have you ever heard of something called Erbit?
1: Mm-hmm. What do you think of it? Um, it's it's really nice. So maybe to give a quick intro, I, it's an operating system based on a functional programming language. Now, what exactly the functional programming language does, uh, it's not. I'm not qualified to answer. Well, that goes a bit too deep.
0: In, I'll tell you why, before you go on. In El Salvador, I met a guy at a party. Who's an Erbit developer? They all live in El Sal- They live in San Salvador in this mm-hmm. big house, and I had a three-hour conversation with him about many things, including hallucinogenic drugs. And I mean, we went all over the place for three hours. But I originally went up there to talk to him about Erbit because it did sound pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. My my take was a decentralized operating system, kind of, you know, kind of. But there are there are apps. That, that, that it's a it's a fully you know it's he, a thing but he i mean he, he's someone a bit like yourself he knows a lot of stuff about some some things that i don't know much about and he was convinced not only of bitcoin which put, made me feel at ease but about Urbit too mm-hmm. and about how erbit is the future as much as bitcoin is mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but yeah i was just wondering if you knew what it was because a lot of people don't like it's mm-hmm. amazing how many people have never heard of it it's been been around like over ten years,
1: I think. Yeah, it's quite an old project, quite advanced. And you know, the again, the 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 big question is who controls the computer, right? And if if you don't control the computer, uh, like the the physical hardware, you know, and and the software that runs on it, then anything that you build on top of that is is fragile, hmm. right? If it's someone else's computer, for whatever reason, they can shut you down. Um, they might see everything you do. They can spy on you. They can manipulate you by sending you wrong answers to or like wrong solutions to the programs that you're running etc. This it can be very manipulative very dangerous environment so a lot of these things that we build including bitcoin only works if you have access to a good computer like actually owning it actually having a secure environment here and I think yeah a couple hundred years if, if they look back on how we did computing now they'll probably laugh as well <laughs> of, of how bad it is not just for Probably the, the hardware uh, could be a lot better, uh, and uh, then the software, especially as well. Um, so I think Urbit is a is an interesting approach to kind of uh, try to make the computing infrastructure more more secure and more reliable, uh, which which is great. Um, I'm sure this is not the perfect solution, um, but it's it's getting us towards that direction. Um, the, the important thing, the, the, the high-level thing I understand about URBIT, is just that concept that it becomes a lot easier uh, and, and more secure to run a server, right? So a computer that's uh, available for you to do computation, basically, that, and you can access the computation from another device.
0: And also, I think they have one protocol that's uh, under that everything speaks to each other in a common language, whereas at the moment you know, if you've got a bit of software on your computer made by one company, it's very difficult to integrate it with something else. Whereas mm-hmm. I think on Urbit, it's a. I just remember a lot of planets and constellations and weird videos. I, I mean, <laughs> it was a really trippy conversation. It has to be said. I haven't never published it yet. I, I'm, it's taking so long to edit because uh, you know yeah. I keep listening to it back. But but um, it, it like I say, he was a he was. What's your? Have you got any unusual takes on? Um, other coins, Ethereum, whatever, I don't know. Anything that I could, I, I'm expecting, I mean, I know roughly what most Bitcoiners think about everything else, but mm-hmm. anything
1: there that, that, that you know. So in in terms of our previous conversation, um, I think Monero or Zcash or, or other quote-unquote privacy coins are extremely interesting computer science projects, but I think ultimately wrong... A wrong approach on the architectural layer. Um, again, Bitcoin is a consensus system. Uh, we need to verify every transaction of everyone else, uh, and now that that is fundamental in its design. Right? And uh, trying and then trying to obfuscate the or like in in the protocol itself, adding complexity to the base monetary protocol itself, like fancy cryptography. Uh, or um, yeah, basically fancy cryptographies, etc., uh, adds a lot of vulnerabilities to 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 that software. Is that what
0: Monero is? Mm-hmm. Base layer complication.
1: Yes, it's a base layer complication. Right. Exactly, and it gives you very it gives you little additional privacy. Like it doesn't make you perfectly anonymous because the fundamental problem that everyone needs to verify the transactions of everyone else is still there. And that's not being addressed by Monero or, or Ccash. Um, and uh, so we, we still have a global con- consensus system. And now we make it a lot more complex for the sake of gaining a little bit better privacy. And I think that's that's not good. Uh, it, it starts falling apart a lot because even Bitcoin, as, as simple as it is right now, it's already hitting scaling limits. And if you, if we have a more complex underlying, then it's more difficult to build on top of it. Uh, because bitcoin is so simple we can make elegant solutions on top of that like you can make the lightning network in bitcoin you cannot do that in monero because of of its fundamentally different architecture and and um different well, well yeah, just just a bunch of different nuances
0: if if um the privacy additional privacy on monero isn't that much as you say mm-hmm. why do why does everyone say that criminals use monero and not bitcoin
1: <laughs> yeah I mean, they, is that that's true, isn't Just it? For the, I, I don't know. There's way more usage of Bitcoin than Monero. Right? You so, think? I, I don't know. I mean, I mean. So, like, in, in total amounts of, of transactions or economic volume, Bitcoin is way bigger, right? But what about illicit use? Yeah, I mean? in terms of illicit use, right? Now, the question is, what's the percentage of illicit use in Bitcoin and what's the percentage of illicit use in Monero? I don't know. Maybe Monero has a higher percentage point, but in absolute numbers... Because Bitcoin just has way more users, naturally there's going to be more criminals involved.
0: But you can, but there are chain anal- analysis companies watching Monero. Is that right? Can they see much? Yeah. I, I I don't
1: know if they can see much. I mean, probably. I heard. I heard that if you go know. on the dark web
0: now, or you go on wherever, you know, you can't. No one wants Bitcoin. They all want Monero. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that just me hearing the, what the, the CNN tells me, or whatever?
1: I think there is definitely there's there's a couple uh, online marketplaces that only accept Monero um, for for some obvious reasons. Right, and I, I'd like to make things clear, if you naively use Bitcoin and you naively use Monero, you're gonna get way more privacy with Monero. Okay. Right, a naive usage of Bitcoin is fully transparent. A naive usage experience of of Monero is at least against some outside providers a lot more difficult to trace but where my main quarrel is is that 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 doesn't mean that bitcoin is bad and that we need to change bitcoin and that we need to add more complex privacy cryptography on the base layer to make a better protocol it just means we have to get smarter about how to use this very simple protocol and the CoinJoin is exactly that Right? We increase the ambiguity of, of what's going on in this transaction substantially. Like 300 inputs, 300 output coin joins are way more private than, than uh, the default Monero transaction of like 12 uh, inputs and outputs ring, ring signatures. Like there's just a lot more actual ambiguity by having a large coin join than by having a default sized Monero transaction. Um, and well, that, that just means it, like we can, we can get more privacy Um, than by having the default layer of of privacy that Monero has. However, we did not increase the complexity of the protocol. We did not add any cryptographic assumptions with this fancy zero-knowledge cryptography, uh, cryptography, and we did not at all increase the verification cost of the blockchain system. A blockchain is a verification system. It's not a system of making transactions. It's a system for verifying transactions. And using coin joints on Bitcoin does not increase the verification cost. Using Monero compared to using Bitcoin increases the verification cost substantially, like a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, and I think that's why ultimately it's 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 the wrong approach, and and why I think it's well, it's basically a shitcoin. It's it's not a scam. Um, I think it's very honest and, and good developers working on it and some awesome technology. I just think that Bitcoin has the economic power and 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 the game theoretical advantages. And because of the elegance and simplicity of Bitcoin's protocol, we can get smarter about how, how we use it and get substantial amounts of privacy in what? it already without any changes. Something that the, the
0: Erbit guy I spoke to said was he'd, he'd, he'd worked on Ethereum in the past. And one of the things he said that I remember that struck a chord was that um, Bitcoin's inevitability is not it's not inevitable. Mm -hmm. And he said, he said, I mean, he's a bit, he was a Bitcoin maximalist self, but, but knew, but knew about other protocols. Mm -hmm. And he said, yeah, um, you know, Ethereum is direct competition to Bitcoin, not in the fact that they do the same things, but in the fact that the current system that we live under is probably going to co-opt Ethereum. So it is competition because Mm -hmm. if they can get that going, they have, you know, what do you think about that? Is that true? Do you think Bitcoin is inevitable?
1: No. I, I think that you could make or break Bitcoin. Um, I don't think it's inevitable at all. And I think if we wanted to, we we can destroy Bitcoin. Surely. like, but look How? What's the biggest threat to Bitcoin? Um, people not caring to use it. Um, Spend and, it or use it? Is HODLing using it? Yeah. yeah HODLing is using it. Getting paid in it and and saving it for, for and making the future payment with it like those are kind of the three uses of, of money right, um, so no I I like for
0: but it's never going to not exist is it, I mean it's going to take a lot for people like you and me to just not use it, I mean there's mm-hmm. no alternative is there? it, if you want to decentralize so, money
1: that's by the way another way that that Bitcoin could could end or at least drift into irrelevance of there's something better. Yeah, I, ho- I hope there's something better because Bitcoin's pretty shit if you look at it. It well, would be yeah. nice if we have something better. I didn't find it yet, but well, yeah, <laughs> but,
0: it would be great if there was something completely decentralized that instantly transferred. Yeah,
1: if but, if we could, but, if we could have double spending protections without global consensus, so that not everyone has to verify every transaction of everyone else, if that ever comes out, but how it's way better.
0: How is that a even a um? A problem like how yeah. how is that even like I understand that the Byzantine generals problem that is is that even a problem the one you just described there does it have a name like uh, double spending problem the double yeah. spend but yeah. it's an, but we we so, kind of
1: solved the double spend problem didn't we with with um well with there's proof of work there's lots of different solutions to the double spend problem right like a central database is a solution to a double oh, okay. spend problem right um, just big, uh, big, or Satoshi figured it out how to have a double spend uh, protection in the sense of we get consensus over a certain database blockchain right, by allowing the ability for everyone to add messages to the blockchain, but uh, uh, and everyone to verify those. Right? So we have a user verified system and uh, w- with open access so that anyone can write to the system, and in order to limit the uh, the, the speed at which new data is being added, uh, which would mean, so the more data gets added to the blockchain, the more people have to verify it, obviously, right? So in order to keep up with verification, we need to have a rate limit of how often can we write ma- uh, data there, right? And, and the size limit of how much data can be written there. And that's the 10-minute block time and one gig- uh, one megabyte uh, block.
0: And isn't the 10, isn't the 10-minute block time also to do with the speed of transfer of data around the, the world. Exactly. Help. Yeah. Because yeah. in a way then there is a problem there because if we can't you can't take Bitcoin too far away from the earth, can you? Because you would have to increase either the block time which is dangerous I suppose. Mm-hmm. I mean I suppose you could increase the block time, but you need you need enough time for everyone to to have consensus. But mm-hmm. but okay. So something better than Bitcoin will exist. Does that mean the digital scarcity thing can be solved again?
1: I think so. Yeah,
0: you can solve it again. Mm-hmm. Like so, you can because the, the the one thing that a lot of people say about digital scarcity is it's kind of like a one time thing. I don't know because maybe. because it, people would try and preempt. If you tried to create a another decentralized money, you people would front run the market, wouldn't they? Like the only reason that Bitcoin evolved to be decentralized money was because no one really knew what was going on at the start and everyone was organically opting in and, and the value then sort of created itself. It was like the immaculate conception, wasn't it? Mm.
1: And it, can you could do that again? I think so. You can? Yeah. Just I mean, it, w- w- is it going to be as successful as Bitcoin was? Well, I mean, probably not. It's It's not going to be the same as Bitcoin was, but... That it that it is possible yeah? I mean, So, sure. what's the big thing that needs to be like for, you know, for, for, for example, example like Litecoin. You know, it, it, like it works. It's it's a, a scarce, rivalrous commodity. It, it came after Bitcoin. It's a pure copy. It changes a couple of variables, yeah, but, but it's fundamentally, not, it works. It works, but it's not being adopted. Sure, but it doesn't. Bitcoin didn't start working after a hundred thousand people used it. Bitcoin worked with one user.
0: Uh, yes, I agree, but. Bitcoin's utility yes. needs 100,000 users or whatever. It needs, yeah. it needs a lot of users. Yeah. and Otherwise, it is nothing. Like Litecoin is irrelevant and nothing because no one uses
1: it. Well, but uh, uh, you know, Litecoin is like now at a size that Bitcoin was I don't know, eight years ago or something, right? So if, if Litecoin now is, is a scam that doesn't exist, then Bitcoin eight years ago is a scam and doesn't exist, you know? Correct. But
0: um, Litecoin's adoption curve is completely different to Bitcoin's.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, 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 and I
0: and that's what I mean. I think that's what I'm trying to say is Bitcoin's adoption curve is a
1: one-off invention or a one-off discovery. Uh, the, the UTX all set certainly is right. Like the 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 current UTX all set that we have is a unique history, and if you would change anything about the history, then it would it be very different. But that doesn't mean that you can't find consensus on. On, on, the, on the on the blockchain again, right I mean so like you know you can start a new cur- a new blockchain based currency right now right and okay maybe with um, the, the, the biggest uh, problem with, with starting over again would probably be the proof of work right that um, there uh, if you have little users, you have very little compute power so you produce little hashes per second. Um, but then you can write specialized or build specialized computers, uh, uh, that only do hashing for this specific hashing algorithm that you chose, uh, and that is incredibly more efficient. Uh, and if you have a lot of existing hash power for your certain hash function, and only a small subset of this existing hash power is used actively in, in being hashed on, uh, on on this project, then you have big problems. Um, uh, and what can happen is, like with, with Bcash, Uh, So Bitcoin and and Bcash had the same hashing algorithm. The vast majority of the total of this hashing power was in in the Bitcoin network. And a tiny minority was in the Bcash network. Uh, But because there was potential of of new miners coming into Bcash, well, if like a miner that has 1% hash power on Bitcoin goes to Bcash, all of a sudden he has like 60% or something and he can reorg the chain, he can you know, mine empty blocks like crazy. He can do a bunch of shenanigans that would disrupt the use of, of, of that money. And that did happen. There were actual attacks by large Bitcoin miners to make the Bcash chain un, unusable for all intents and purposes. Um, and that could happen again, right, with Bitcoin. The, the cool thing is that, well, Bitcoin was kind of the first time where SHA-256 hashing was really proposed to be used at a large scale. There's a bunch of computers, like everyone's laptop could be doing SHA-256. Um, so there's a huge amount of potential uh, hashing power, but nobody noticed Bitcoin early. So it, it took a while until this hashing power was actually dedicated to, to Bitcoin. Uh, and, and then the specialization of computer producers came in to you know, produce uh, ASICs that specialize in, in just this hashing. And all of a sudden, we we've, we've we started building more and more efficient hashing algorithms that directly went into mining Bitcoin. So the, the hash size of Bitcoin increased versus the potential of hash power outside of Bitcoin stayed kind of roughly the same. Right? And because ASICs are way more efficient than any laptop, by now, the vast majority of SHA-256 hashing power is dedicated to Bitcoin. So there's very little available hashing power that could be Dumped into Bitcoin occasionally to mess around with things, uh, and and that what gives Bitcoin its its huge stability in in the block rate production. Like ten blocks a bit uh, per uh, ten minutes per block, is pretty accurate, and ve- the the changes up and down are very small considering all things. Right, and if you would start over again and people know about all of this, you know everything that we've learned with Bitcoin since, then they could probably start doing shenanigans on, on the mining side. But the quote only thing that that would do would just mean that, okay, instead of needing to wait for one or six blocks, you need to wait for 50 blocks or something like this. You just increase the time that you wait for confirmations until you consider that transaction valid. And if you increase that, then your stability increases. Um, so,
0: the, yeah so okay then uh, I'm, uh, we're, we're over three hours mate I'm gonna have to stop soon because <laughs> my head <laughs> is about to explode but i I was interested in what you said about bitcoin approving on bitcoin it's not something that it's not not something that a lot of bitcoiners would say what about um is bitcoin money is bitcoin good enough money is there better you know, is there better money than bitcoin
1: Ah, it's a tricky question so let's, let's define money money according to the Austrians is the most liquid medium of exchange so it's a, a good that you hold not for consuming it or for producing something with it it's not like a steak or a piece of wood um, it's a thing that you trade with uh, the quote unquote only reason why you have it is not to eat it but it's to give it to someone else so that he can give you something to eat Right? You use it as, as a, a trading good, and the most liquid means that everyone, the vast majority of people in your market are using, are demanding to get paid in that money. Right? And so if, for the question of is Bitcoin money, first and foremost, is it the most liquid medium of exchange right now? No, it, objectively not. The US dollar is a way more liquid medium of exchange. Um, Bitcoin right now is... in if we measure liquidity based on market capitalization, it's like the top eight or top seventh currency. Um, so it's it's very liquid, but not as liquid as others. So there are "quote unquote" better monies that are more liquid. Um, now, th- why do certain things get more liquid than others? Why do certain commodities become better monies than others, or, or more likely to be used as money? Uh, and then we have things like you know durability, divisibility. Uh, the, the, to transfer it, you know, transferability, etc. All of these attributes of good money, and if we neutrally look at them, Bitcoin is probably winning by a landslide. Uh, like the 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 uh, moneyness of Bitcoin is substantial. It it has a lot of attributes that are very important for a new for a new commodity to be established as a money. Um, so Bitcoin is theoretically great. Practically speaking. Yeah, we're getting
0: there. But so is, but um, you know, a lot of people think Bitcoin's here for thousands of years. You're not in that. You're not in that category.
1: Ah, oh, I, I, I mean, you see it on Twitter I, a lot. You know, it's <laughs> like oh,
0: yeah, for your grandchildren's
1: grandchildren's yeah. grandchildren. I I act as if that were true. I I I I think that it has the potential of being a very stable. Uh, asset throughout centuries there's definitely no given at, at all right like there could there's a million scenarios that could happen where, where bitcoin fails and it's completely forgotten and um so there's no certainty into the future at all um i'm if, if you if you study the theory of money and and if you study the, the qualities that that the money needs to have bitcoin checks a lot of boxes If you then look into the past and present and see how Bitcoin is being used by people, um, then it checks a lot of boxes. And if you see how how Bitcoin changes the behavior of people, um, it it behaves like a really good money. Um, If it will continue to do that in the future, nobody can say that. I'm I'm pretty confident though.
0: I think that's a good place to leave it. I'm not sure my brain can take on any more, <laughs> to be honest. I've got, I got to give you our last question. Um, I think I'll probably know what your answer might be, but um, it's the sabbatical question. One year sabbatical, money's no object. What do you do?
1: That's a really excellent question. Um, I, I would probably try to fix the money. Like that's very broadly speaking, that's like the number one number one thing right now. I mean in if in with sabbatical you mean you can't do things that No, it's that just are you can you can take you can take
0: time off, you can do anything mm. you want. The point is during that year you don't have to worry about mm-hmm. funding whatever it is you mm-hmm. want to do. Mm-hmm. Um you know, like could you could you fix the money in a year? Who knows? But you could build a hospital. You yeah. could you could do you know, there's lots of things mm-hmm, you could
1: do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, give me a thousand great engineers and let's fix the money for the next year. If I have unlimited what budget, uh, very much. The, what do you mean by <laughs> fix the money there? Um, in- increasing, so fic- stick to Bitcoin. It's the best chance we have. Um, increase the uh, fungibility, meaning remove transaction history from, from units. Uh, that's the coin join. Lots of work there. Uh, then the other thing is the portability. Make it fast and cheap at transfer. And that's basically lightning. And we need both of that together we need to have great privacy in lightning and well yeah a thousand engineers in a year could maybe get like 0.1 percent done so <laughs> <laughs> i will take it that that type of funding
0: <laughs> sure i'll just write you a check <laughs> All right, No, give us give us a qr code and i'll send you some bitcoin <laughs> <laughs> well thanks max great great conversation i've got a lot to think about now I've got loads more questions as well but I'm literally it's dark outside um and yeah wow um I'm going to digest it all I'm really going to think some of these things through but thanks for talking mate I really really appreciate it and I hope I hope that someone else gets as much from this as conversations i did because it's it was a pretty personal bunch of questions
1: that i was asking just for me so (laughs) it's probably not the best way to i think it's the best way you gotta scratch your own inch you know um yeah that's that's one of the rules of, of free software development too right it's like you're the user of the software you know how bad it is you know where it's broken so go fix it. You don't have to ask other people of how bad is the software, where does it need to be improved, I know, but you know?
0: I'm, I'm here on, uh, as an ambassador for the Free Cities Foundation and we talked in depth about very technical Bitcoin things, which mm. <laughs> I'm more, more certain lots of people are interested in, but I don't know how many Free
1: Cities people are. Yeah, it's a big question, right? But I mean, money is, is required to build a city and, and to live in a city. Um, and good money makes the city a lot better. So any free private city organizer or, or enthusiast has to, you know, get smart about the money and, and get better about, about building it and, and using it especially. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks a bunch, Tim, for the for the invite. Also no a problem. Fun. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs>